Such sights to show you. Bring the motherfucking ruckus! Fuck you too! Yeah, I love SCPs. SCPs are like X Files for the internet. That's why I like it. It's uh, you you uh, classify the unnatural or the supernatural into three different parties, and it's uh, it's whether or not they're amicable, dangerous to be around, or will flat out annihilate you. And, uh, sounds like our ex-girlfriend. Sounds like my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> it's my favorite uh, joke that I tell. And, and I tend to only really tell it around you because I know how much you enjoy it. I love it. I love that. And I love seeing some bones. And that's seeing all I do all some day. Bones. I talk about my ex-girlfriend and I look at some bones. Bones. Because I killed her and I look at her bones every day. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. Welcome to Lots of Pasta. <laughs> this is Deputy Dewey, of whoop, course. Whoop, whoop. Um, I appreciate that you're the first person in several episodes who doesn't just immediately sit down and commandeer my show from me. That's been happening on the last couple episodes. <laughs> I have nothing to sell. No, people no, have just been I have sitting no, down. I have no agenda. No, people have literally been sitting down and saying my, like, welcome to Lots of Pasta, I'm your host, and then they'd say themselves, <laughs> and I'd be That's like, awesome. fuck you, this is my show. It's literally, everyone can go back and listen, it's happened, like, literally in the last, like, four new people I've had on, they've been like, I fucking Sofa King immediately sat down and said, this is my show now. Fucking, I, I swear, uh, where am I did it at one point. And I was like, oh, yeah, you want to do this? And he was like, nah, never mind. And then uh, fucking uh, Afternoon Groom, first time on an episode, sits, oh, down, yeah. sits down and just commandeers the fucking show. <laughs> well, uh, get out of my show world. Get out of my, sh- get out of my podcast world. <laughs> Oh no! Um, no, get into my podcast. Get get into my podcast world. Be a guest in his podcast world. It's a little sticky though. <laughs> a little sticky, icky. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Two dudes are are currently sitting on a love seat, and oh yeah, them legs be touching, girl. <laughs> lovingly, <laughs> they lovingly. That's hence the seat. <laughs> If, if we weren't so close together, the sound quality wouldn't be as good. You know what I'm saying? We wouldn't get creeped out as much because we'd be further apart. Well, you're also <laughs> harder to lick if you're really far away from Oh! Me. Oh, boy, boy, boy. One thing that I love about always being on this podcast, because both in real life and on the podcast, we tend to talk about recent horror. Films. Yeah, we talk a lot about because horror we movies. Like them we watch a lot of horror films. movies together. Whenever I reference watching things on this show, I would say five out of ten times I've been watching them with Deputy Dewey. Whoa, that's like fifteen percent. I feel like I'm last <laughs> last time I think it might even been the last episode I mentioned that I just rewatched. Oh no, it was with Glitch Blob. He absolutely commandeered the show as well. And Blobby Boys. Um, he. Uh, he got me onto the topic as we do of horror movies as well. And, uh, I told him the story about us watching all of the wreck. Oh, Oh, hell yeah. And then I talked about, um, how we're watching the insidious series right now. (laughs) 
Which, like, uh, people love those movies so much, and I obviously was one too, but I haven't watched the first one in so long. Uh, the goddamn sound effects in that movie. Yeah, not just a... Just so overdone. Not a fan of how quiet that movie is and how much it doesn't have, like, music anywhere. Which I think is why the Tiptoe Through the Tulips song hit people so, so hard big, because yeah. because the movie doesn't act like a movie it acts like it's almost it's not documentary but it's slice of life enough to show you like you know when something when something makes a mm-hmm. noise it's because it's supposed to emulate you know older types of horror movies i yeah. think very quiet it's got, suburban home it's got that kind of uh spaghetti Jalo type of thing going on where it's like it likes to play with colors a lot it has fun close-ups <laughs> rose burns face people will just monologue you know like it's a stage production i remember i think i remember turning to you at one point and saying the first insidious would have made a really cool play yeah and i remember being like it's because of the minimal effects and the costume work and the lighting the simplicity of it is really fun. It makes that movie really fun. The second one gets away from itself a little bit. Uh, the ADR alone in the second one. I could, you know... Fucking like 15 minutes worth. It's not good. <laughs> that chick is old. They try to insert her voice on like a 20-year-old's body. Mm-hmm. Nah, man. And yet they don't do it for the other character. Who nope. is in the other movie as well. Nope. So, like, what's the point? <laughs> it, there is no point. I don't get it. Um, and then I fell asleep a little bit because it got boring. And then I woke back up for all of the trans rights. <laughs> way before of its time. Yeah, way ahead of its time. Shout out to Insidious 2 for pretty much <laughs> starting the trans movement. Oh, uh, yes, yes. Uh, no- nothing better than a, a trans uh, male-to-female bride. Uh, what was his name again? My name is Spencer. <laughs> yeah, but his mom <laughs> called him Marilyn. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up, you're Marilyn now. Oh, boy. Oh. Shut boy. up, deputy. Your oh, name's boy. Marilyn oh, no. now. Yeah, his name's like Parker Crane they, or some they shit. They straight up take... Right? Wasn't that it? Yeah, they take like an icon female in, in the horror genre mm-hmm. in the first one and then just turn her into like a middle-aged dude. Middle-aged And dude. that never sat well with me. <laughs> yeah. I like... I like the chick who plays Mary Shaw in Dead Silence because she is haunting looking Mm -hmm. and Dead Silence is a Lee Whannell, uh, James Wan movie. So it's not hard to understand Mm -hmm. that when they were making Insidious one and Lee Whannell is literally in it and it's directed by James Wan, they just hired the same fucking scary looking (laughs) old lady. And I, you know, it makes sense. It carries over. Well, it's almost like an in universe joke. Like in the first movie, you see Billy on the chalkboard, yep, and yep. you know it's like an in-universe joke a little bit. It, old woman <laughs> equal scary. Parker Crane second movie not scary. Uh, trans rights. <laughs> and I'm not being a turf when I say that. I'm not being like mean yeah. about the trans community. I'm saying it is interesting in retrospect that Insidious Two features a villain. Who is trans? Yeah. And not on their Where's, own... Where's their headlines? <laughs> not on their own merit, though, either. It was all about the mother. 
yeah, no. And, but that, let me, I need to sip tea before I say this, and I'm not joking <laughs> oh, when I this, say that. Look at this Kermit motherfucker next to me, sipping the tea. Here's a little bit of tea. I think gender fluidity, honestly, honestly, is poorly supported by parents 95% of the time, oh, which is why, yeah. which is why the, and I mean on both sides of the spectrum, the parents who put their little boys in dresses and say, don't you like being a little girl, which is almost like taken to the extreme in Insidious mm-hmm. 2. Because that absolutely happens. That that shit fucking happens. Like, there's a there's like a story about like a little kid online who liked to wear dresses. It had nothing to do with him thinking he was a girl, but the mom started putting him through like fucking hormone therapy and shit mm-hmm. because he thought he wanted to be a little girl, and he just flat out said like, "Nah, bitch, I just like to wear dresses." <laughs> You know, like eight years later, he's just like, I just fucking like dresses. But then there's the other side of the spectrum where it's like, no, you're a boy. And it's like, clearly gay little kid Mm -hmm. wants to be gay, wants to like just express themselves. And the parents are just like, fuck you. You're going to be a hetero little, little boy. You're going to like girls. There's always that. What's the one video of the kid at Toys R Us? And it's like, oh. they show him the Lego aisle and they show him the Barbie aisle and he Makes runs right into the Barbie <laughs> aisle. And the dad's just like, no, 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 no. And like ushers him out of there real quick. <laughs> Man, like, I just love it. Like serial killers and trans people always have one thing in common. There's some type of childhood trauma there. Mm. It, it's Fair almost enough. always positive in that direction like there's something that like just made them not want to be that anymore and it's usually not a good thing you think jason Voorhees is like gay as hell <laughs> that's gonna be the 13th one <laughs> now you just called it we'll listen back on this podcast when it friday does come the out. 13th 13 the twist will be that it's pamela this time jason turns into pamela pamela's a lesbian oh that's cool i watched that movie <laughs> <laughs> Um, they're making a Pamela Voorhees show, apparently, hmm. or a prequel to the, to the first Crystal Lake. Just her being a, a, a single mother with a mentally... Trying to work at a camp, trying to <laughs> support her kid. Child. Yep. She's worried that her kid's going to get picked on at camp, so she gets a job there to, to kind of watch him. And it's played make by Zoe sure. Deschanel. Oh. <laughs> Who's that girl? <laughs> it's Pamela. It's Pamela. Uh, that's a wonderful joke um and then at the very same time i think the other owner of friday the 13th is legit doing a 13th movie so uh 2024 might be you know the comeback year of friday the 13th which is cool always cool to hear that our boy arguably my favorite boy of the of the holy trinity is getting some Getting some love after multiple years of kind of getting shafted. Yeah. Even the video game developers are still getting shafted, and that's a fun-ass game. It's very fun. I was so sad that the Jason X part didn't come through. Yeah. Uh, well, luckily, thanks to hackers out there, um, you could play, like, closed matches mm-hmm. on, a, on a set that was inspired by what they did. And I, I take that as, like, air quotes for the fact that a guy working on the game just fully leaked the fucking map mm. and just said Fuck fucking this. have it. Put so yeah. much work into this, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know legally they're not allowed to do that, but after the game kind of got 
just halted, I'm sure no one was watching for when he just said fuck it and gave it to a bunch of people because I've seen entire matches on YouTube of that map. Yeah. With yeah. with Jason X walking around. Um <laughs> Yeah. The 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 uh the um the ice kill. Fucking love that one. The dry ice kill. Um I'm more of a sleeping bag kind of guy. Premarital have, sex. <laughs> have you heard of um You've uh, you've heard of the game Dead by Daylight. Oh, of course. Yeah. So Jason notoriously wasn't in Dead by Daylight because got his own game. He had his own game, but now the people who made Friday the Thirteenth made a Texas Chainsaw Massacre game, Ooh. also asymmetrical, seven players instead of eight, um, or instead of nine with eight counselors, one Jason. It's four people three bad guys and um do you get to be multiple people or just leatherface no three it's three versus four. Oh, okay so there's bubba walking around and then there's the cook and then the hitchhiker okay and then you could feed grandpa who oh can, hell who yeah can kind of help you out Boink. during the game Boink. so yeah he also has his hammer yeah <laughs> um now the same company who did friday the 13th is working on that but it's still funny to think that bubba is also in Dead by Daylight. Getting into my topic, do you know who also just recently joined Dead by Daylight, the video game, as a playable character? Pennywise? Nicholas Cage. <laughs> just as Nicholas Cage? Just as the Cage. <laughs> That's good. Have you heard of this? Did you know? No, this? I didn't know that. Yeah, it's one of the it's one of the funnier things I've seen recently. What's his and like go to moves? I don't know. I, I think I don't think he comes out until July, but he announced he announced that he did voice work and mocap for it. And honestly, it, it might be the one thing that gets me back into that game. <laughs> Not the bear. Not the bear. No. He he apparently went on the record of saying that he is quote unquote connected to all people who play as him in the video game, and that okay. and that they are quote unquote all in this together. <laughs> and that's why I'm like, that's why I'm like Nick. You're a fucking you're a fucking guy. A you know, like he, he's a legend. Um, I kind of would just love to like sit in a room with like him and Keanu Reeves. And just like let them talk for like what a, a couple hours. Yeah, I'd like to be there too. Um, throw in uh, throw in uh, Brendan Fraser, and I'm fucking, oh, I'm fucking yeah. down. <laughs> uh, but uh, here's here's the thing. I loved Dead by Daylight, and I played it constantly with Franz McBoohoo and Tenron Otrin, like. When it came out, you know, I I bought all of the killers all the way up to I think the Resident Evil expansion. I I kind of or no, it was the um Silent Hill expansion. Ironically, I was looking forward to playing as uh as Pyramid Head, and I never even bought the set. So I stopped at Pyramid Head, which says I probably got like halfway to where they're at right now. Yeah, I played I played for like four years, you know, and I have never been so mad playing a game before. Oh. It is one of the only games that has ever actually got me, like, fucking veins pumping, like, red-faced angry. And it's and it's usually when a bad guy just targets you and doesn't give a shit about any of the people that you're also playing with, <laughs> just fucking tunnels you and kills mark. you, just fucking takes you out first, no reason behind it. Or you are the killer and you're up against a team of fucking assholes 
who just who just break the game and break how your character works. And it's like they didn't patch the stuff that I cared about until year like like this year actually. I heard about one of the one of the patches I had always been waiting for. And now there are all these other cool playable characters and shit and I'm just I'm like half the game behind and I I frankly don't want to pay to catch up. So I just it's easier for me to just stop playing and I also think better for my sanity that I stopped playing because that game just made me so fucking mad. Even if I was on the team with other people, like I'd be like depending on my friends to help me with shit and they just let me fucking die and I'd be like, fuck you guys. And I just wouldn't want to play anymore, which is funny because I'm playing Outlast Trials right now, which feels like the same game, but I'm not angry because it just plays better than Dead by Daylight. It is more fun than Dead by Daylight. You don't depend on your friends as much as you do in Dead by Daylight. Like, you need to work together in Dead by Daylight, or else there's no point in playing the fucking game. In Outlast Trials, you can split up and kind of do your own thing, and you'll still be significant. Um, Doing our own thing. But if there's one... If there's one fucking thing to get me back into Dead by Daylight, it's the idea of just hopping on every once in a while, not taking it seriously at all, and just playing as Nicolas Cage. I just, I just think he does the con air. Hair in the wind. <laughs> hair in the wind. Put the bunny down. Um, I wouldn't mind watching that again. That's fucking classic. love con air. It's so good. Um, I My top player, when I played, was... Um, uh, fucking Steve the Hare Harrington from Stranger Things in the Scouts, uh, the, the Scoops, Scoops Ahoy costume. Um, that was my, he was my number one lad by the time I stopped playing. He was the person I had upgraded the most because I just played as him the most. And then, um, my most played killer was Mike Myers, honestly. Mm. He, he played the most fun. I found, I found that he was significantly more fun to play with than like any other character in that game because he his his entire strat was around watching people. Oh, okay. You would hold a button down whenever another player was in view and you would build up a rage meter the more you just stared at them. Oh, fuck. so I would I would just stand in a fucking window and stare at people and they'd be like Aw, oh, fuck, how long has he been there? And, like, if you do it long enough, if you get to, like, the third fucking level of, like, hate stare, you can just take one person down in one hit. Oh, sick. Because you've been just fucking yeah. targeting them the entire time. Hmm. So it's funny to be standing off in the distance and just fucking eyeing someone, and then they try to get away from you, and by the time you catch up to them, you just fucking take them down in one hit. So I would... I would major strat Mike Myers and just fucking stalk people the entire match and then they'd they'd get to like generator three out of five and I'd be like time to die <laughs> do I make you horny baby do I new killer Austin Powers <laughs> um looking over at my section of uh dead by daylight and video game killers over here um Ironically, the only one I never got to play as that I always wanted to because it came out much later, my boy Pinhead. Oh, he's he's a playable killer in Dead by Daylight. And yeah, you do you shoot the <laughs> you shoot the chains out at people, it whips them, they uh, they get damaged. Which when you get damaged a certain amount of times, you eventually get downed. Such so, pleasure. So he would uh, he would also 
pop up and get drawn to different areas of the map when people would play around with the puzzle box. Okay. Oh, that's cool. So you can kind of... It's interesting how someone can kind of sacrifice themselves on one side of the field when another person is getting chased. Yeah. Just by playing with the puzzle box on the other yeah. side and then bolting before he shows up. Okay. Yeah, that's a fun, so, fun way of doing it. Yeah, the opposite is like the Demogorgon where it's like you go through the upside down to pop out in other areas of the map, but it takes a traversal amount of time mm. to physically get there. Mm. Um, it wasn't so much like used against you. I like that. That's the, that's the story of pinhead. So that's how the, that's how he plays is that he could like his, his like teleportation ability is taken away from him because he gets drawn to the box. So, Fun, fun stuff. Fun game. I take it too seriously because I had, like, a really high rating, and when you lose, like, one fucking match, you get fucking point-bombed. So, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, it just, it was hard, it was hard to be happy playing that game. <laughs> so if, if something feels wrong, I just stop it after a certain amount of time. Um, yeah, like, Friday the 13th, much. never I never had that feeling playing Friday the 13th. Because mm. you can win that game by yourself. <laughs> you honestly don't need anyone That's else to, to win that yeah. game. I've, I've gotten in a car and driven off, leaving everyone there to fucking die so many times <laughs> just because they didn't help me, I didn't help them, peace out. Or maybe the boat is probably more accurate. The boat escape has always been the easiest for any of the maps that it's on. Um, but yeah. God, you I know. just want to play that again. It's been so long. The last time I played was the last time we played. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. I love I love that that time. Uh, we we told the stories on the uh, on the show of playing with that little kid who was maybe like eight years old, <laughs> and we're just we're just screaming just at him. Fucking believe. There's just a group of fucking thirty year old men just fucking dying as this <laughs> this fucking eight year old. Is is running around the map, fucking talking about his favorite colors and animals and shit. It was it was it was hilarious. I all wish the, I wish I was all recording. All the goddamn dancing. God yeah, damn it. He, he would just run into a room. <laughs> I was playing as Jason. I didn't want to kill him, but he would just walk into a room that I was in and just start dancing and and talking about like his favorite, his favorite like lizard that he found the other day or something. And I'd be like. What the fuck are you doing? And he would just run out of the room immediately. I remember literally like watching you being in the room with him. Uh -huh. And then you came after me. It's like, motherfucker. I was like, I don't want to kill the kid. I feel bad. <laughs> we were trying to help him. It was down to just him and me at the end. And I was literally talking to him as Jason, mm -hmm. just being like, get in the boat, go away. The piece is right there. He was like, nah, it's not going to work. And I'm like, why? And he's like, because I don't have this. And I was like, ah, good point. Well, I'm going to kill you then. Okay. <laughs> he, I remember him being like, it's okay. <laughs> do you remember? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Does your mom know you're playing this? Yeah, she's right here. She doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. oh. such, a, such a kind gamer. It was such a wholesome experience. You it's... know what? That kid graduated last week. Do you feel old now? <laughs> Kids were now born in 2015. 9-11 happened so many years ago. Do you remember Clarissa you... Explains It All? I do! <laughs> Shit. Oh, man. What about BuzzFeed? 
Isn't it still around? Now it's crackwhores.com. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, boy, boy, boy. How'd you like Boogeyman? Oh, I felt it literally exactly the same way you okay. did. Okay. And, it, and it's... <laughs> I started just telling this joke to people who would ask after I said I watched it. I was like, who would have thought... That the thing that lived in the darkness and was afraid of light would get killed, killed by, by fire. fire. <laughs> Crazy. What are the chances? They made sure to show us that lighter fluid. I literally looked at the person I was with and I was like, foreshadowing. <laughs> I just love the chick's first time in that house with all the candles. And I'm like, who did this? And then they showed the mom still living there. And yeah. I was like, I was like, oh, okay. So that explains part of it <laughs> i was like i was like can you actually see this character walking up and down the halls lighting all of these candles every night can you actually though and then having that huge industrial thing on one small on one closet downstairs <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah not even in the same section of the house but I did like the monster. I agreed with you that it was super inventive. It wasn't just your stereotypical looking thing, which is always fun. Cause that's the, that's the experience I got out of watching smile. Mm -hmm. I remember smile like really surprising me because it actually had a cool monster and it looked fucking terrifying. Yes. I was like, they were the same movie. Okay. Except smile is probably less predictable. And I actually like the ending more. Okay. Whereas this was predictable as hell. And I didn't quite like the ending as much. Um, I did laugh out loud in the theater when the dad was like, I'm fine and tries to get up and his fucking ankle goes in the <laughs> fucking perpendicular direction. Um, yeah, that's not so great. I remember, I, I literally <laughs> chuffed out loud. Um, it's kind of like what I wish the monster was in it too. And then to realize that it's a short story by Stephen King, I was like, oh, okay. Just because, like, I always instead hate the ending of, the, of it. Instead of the spider, you're yeah, asking for I some gangly person. I hate that it's spider so much. I just feel like they can't do that justice. And this um, was pretty good. Mm, this was a pretty uh, damn good spider. Eh, eh, eh. Here's where I'll disagree with you. Only a little bit. In Kerry Fukunawa's original script for when he was directing, back when Poulter was attached as Pennywise. Okay. Will Poulter. Um, which is still interesting to think about because I think he would have been very creepy in that role. Um, they described the entity as a Lovecraftian demon. So imagine like a Shoggoth full of tentacles yeah. and like insect legs. You That's know, fine. I want that. A hundred eyes, a bunch of tentacles, basically like the giant squid monster. Honestly, I I have trouble. Lights. I have travel. I have trouble thinking of anything but the first appearance of the thing monster in John Carpenter's The Thing when it does the past the dog form yeah. Yeah. when it start like after the tentacles. After the face opens up, it shoots out these fucking bug legs and these giant fucking demon hands. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, what the fuck is going on? That's how Fukunawa's script originally felt like reading like. Okay. Because when they 
the end of the first movie in his script was supposed to be that they go down there and fight uh, Pennywise in his own dimension. That's where the whole um, battery acid you slime mm-hmm. line, you know, comes back into effect. And because this one, this script took place um, in the 80s as well. There's uh, a lot of allusions to, like, Star Wars and shit. But at one point, they uh, they go through, like, the well mm-hmm. in the basement. And the well becomes this, like, fucking hyperspace tunnel, basically. And they end up in, like, a different dimension. And that's where they fight okay. the Pennywise, like, monster, wow. essentially. And it was just supposed to be, like... Floating, glowing eyes and tentacles and insect legs and and shit. That is much better than the two iterations that I have seen. <laughs> well, the the 80s made-for-TV movie didn't have the budget to pull something cool off. And the uh, 2018, uh, 19 CGI version leaned, leaned hard into... Uh, Skarsgård's performance as opposed to just doing a, a giant fucking spider, which I almost would have preferred, because having the, the clown be the top half of the spider just fucking bothered mm-hmm. me. <laughs> I really uh, wanted a giant CGI abomination. I, it's I had cool. high hopes. It's cool if they went back to bullying it and it turns back into Pennywise because it forgets how to be anything but him. You know, if they wanted to bully him to death, which I also don't like about the new movie as well. But if they wanted to keep the bully him to death fucking sequence, then they could have still had him be some giant fucking creepy looking monster. And then they're just like, we're not scared of you anymore, you know. And then he turns back into the clown and just fucking accepts defeat. You know, that that I almost would have preferred a little bit. Hashtag, where's my child orgy? My phone's listening to me. <laughs> where's my child orgy? Nah, I'm glad your phone's, phone's listening to that. No, no, no. My phone's <laughs> listening to me because, believe it or not, guess what email I just got? Steam apparently has Dead by Daylight on sale right now. Oh, shit. Hashtag, where my Nick Cage? Hashtag, what's up with that turtle? What is up with uh, <laughs> Maturin? What's he doing? Yeah. Good to catch up with you on the uh, on the Lots of Pasta podcast, Deputy Dewey. All right, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Deputy Dewey's are the fucking worst. That's the end of the show. No, he a cop. We have um, he a cop. We have a fun series. This is going to be a series. This isn't your first series, but this is a series. And um, I had to get the cop here because we're gonna read some cop stories. About uh, what you want, what you about want. a weird place in in uh, back back woods America. I think maybe Texas. Oh, nice racial racial profiling. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, we're gonna do it. <laughs> and just, um, just them good old boys. We're gonna we're gonna stereotype that police involvement, uh, and by that I mean shoot the blacks. <laughs> oh no! Now, now, boss Don't cancel hog. me. Don't get the boss out. Um, yeah, no, this is going to be interesting for sure. Um, and I can't help but feel like we're going to get, we're going to get somewhere interesting with this series because it's one of the more popular series on 
run at no sleep. Uh, but it's only we're only going to do three episodes of it because it's split into three different stories. So today we're going to read the entirety of story number one. Numero uno. Which is called, I'm a police officer in a small town in Texas. And I have some strange stories to tell. That burp was really aggressive. That was a pretty tough one, yeah. It's all because of that there tea. Yeah. You'd be sipping on that there tea in that there small town in Texas. I have some strange stories to tell. Well, do tell <laughs> in Mr. Police Officer well, Man. But under what context am I am I hearing this? Are you the guy who like just arrested me and you want to have a nice chat while you're driving me back to go <laughs> to go to jail and you're just trying to break the ice? Do you have any police officer stories to tell before we we dive into this? I've never had any good interactions with the law outside of the two cops who worked at our high school um, because I absolutely ran a stop sign once. And the only cop who saw me on like that Sunday afternoon was one of the ones who worked at the high school. And he just said, don't do it again. <laughs> does it rhyme with Pope or does it rhyme with Duvins? That was bad. That didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to let you go with it. But honestly, when you just turn around immediately and say that wasn't very good. Um and then uh, the only other interactions I have, because I've never been pulled over any any other time else near home, is state troopers, and they're the fucking yeah, worst. Yeah, they'll always get you. And um, I remember uh, the first big ticket I got, it was because I was driving home on the Pen Pennsylvania Turnpike at 3 o'clock in the morning from Wilkes-Barre to Philadelphia, and right outside Philadelphia, there was a quote-unquote work zone, but none of the lights were on. Mm. So I go speeding past this one bridge, going 72. If it had been a normal area, speed limit was 65. So I was yeah. just going regular speed limit, but apparently through a work zone. So they wanted, so, in uh, they wanted me at 55, and I was going 72. So I got pulled over, and... Uh, I fought that ticket because I wanted to say if the work zone lights were off, then is it still technically a work zone? Because that doesn't mean anyone's working. And uh, the judge thought I was being sarcastic, so he only leveled the ticket like $20. I still had to pay it, though. <laughs> I have a couple of good ones. Back in like 2008, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. It was a very fun movie. We mm. were in high school at the time. It was before... Like, smartphones are really a thing. Uh -huh. so, so you busted out the old the Mac Garmin. Quest. You, you find the closest, closest oh, I had White Castle, which was, like, yeah. center of Jersey when we uh -huh. were in Eastern PA. It was, PA. like, two hours away. So good old drive out there. I did that. We got our yeah. Bergs. Driving back. Cop pulls me over just because, like, I'm speeding a little bit. And he, like, looks at my license like, what are you boys doing out here? And I was just like, we wanted some White Castle. And he was like, hell yeah, brother. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Food's getting cold. <laughs> uh, another one. Uh, it's funny. One of the high school officers. Uh -huh. um, my buddy was... Rhymes with Pope or rhymes, rhymes with, with Dubins. Dubins. <laughs> uh, it's like three in the morning or so. My buddy, he used to live in an apartment. This was when we were like 20. So we weren't even 21 yet. Uh, family moves out. 
we have like one last little like hurrah at this apartment. There's literally nothing in this place, mind you, except for like a table that has both weed and a ton of beer on it. Four dudes, 3 a.m., blasting Metallica. <laughs> Not a good time for any neighbors involved. Two cops show out the door. I'm the soberest of the four, so I decide to answer it. Who does it happen to be? But Officer Duvins. And he just goes, I know you, I know you, I know you, and I know you. What the fuck you doing? <laughs> Turn it down. And then he left. And I was like, wow, that was really cool of him because we were underage. We definitely had weed in place. 100% could have taken us away. See, that was the one who I ran the stuff, the one, the tan one with the, the gelled hair who worked at our, who walked around our high school a lot. Okay. Um, he, he was the one who caught me mm. absolutely tearing through a stop sign. Uh, cause I was late to work. I just fucking, I just fucking ran it. Mm. And he's literally down the street and pulls me over and he doesn't even get out of his car. He pulls up alongside of me and he just goes, and I pull my window down and he goes, what are you doing? I was like, sorry, I'm running late. He was like, well, don't do it again. <laughs> Fair enough. And then just drives away. You my, know, my dad gives, always... gives me that, like, don't be dumb. You <laughs> my, know, my like... dad always tells the story that he got pulled over once for doing such a thing. He's like, sorry, I really have to go to the bathroom. I'm literally going to shit my pants. He's like, get out of here. <laughs> get out of here. Uh, I should have Scutch on one day to tell his story, and I hope I'm not blowing up his spot at all. I don't think he listens to other episodes that aren't his own, which is fine, because that's a lot of people on this show. But Scutch, when he was, I want to say, 13, went on, I want to say, a multiple-hour police chase because he was a teenager driving a car, and he mm. just didn't want to stop. Gotcha. And it led, like, three or four cars across county lines to Eek. catch him. Eek. And he just went. Just he fucking just going went. for he it. He just fucking went. Oh, fuck. And uh, I remember him saying that, like, it went on his record. He absolutely had to do, like, time as a kid. Of course. And uh, I just remember being like, man, was, was Freebird just fucking <laughs> blasting the entire time when you were... And I just remember, I, I'm sure as exactly a kid, he was he was smoking a ton of weed as a kid. I'm sure he had something in the car that he wasn't happy about. Paranoid. And he just him. got paranoid and yeah. he just fucking took off. And let alone being a 13, I, I, I believe 13 to 16 year old driving illegally mm. in, I want to say, a car that wasn't his. Like Oof. it was someone else's. So Oof. like... Yeah, just bad situation. And I remember him I remember him saying that he literally got chased by cops for multiple hours and I was just like I was like, How did you Yeah. What do you think back on that now? And he's just like, Well, I think I was fucking dumb, but it was still <laughs> fun when I thought about it. You know, it's it's just interesting. I gotta I gotta get him to tell the story if he wants to. Yeah. On the show, but he he definitely <laughs> has a fun fucking story there. When I was an EMT, we once uh, went to a site where uh, uh, a drunk driver, obviously, but the 12-year-old was claiming that they were driving and mm. not, not the obviously plastered dad. Mm -hmm. We were just like, okay, buddy. <laughs> As EMTs, like, that doesn't matter to us. It's it's the officers that take care of that shit. But, like, that yeah. will always, like, stick out to me that this kid just went for it and was like, yeah, it was me, it was me, it was me. 
Just like he doesn't want doesn't want the dad to go to jail. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Fun times with the low. Yeah. I mean, people have worse times. (laughs) Oh, one hundred percent. But there's some good ones out there. Yeah, I'm not. You know, I'll never damn an entire sect of people just because of how let alone how they're told or trained to do things like it's not their fault like honestly if we were to go back and redo that entire like industry there's no reason why a lawyer who sits at a desk every day who works in law has to be trained on all of that shit but the same people who enforce it don't yet they ride around in the streets with literal weapons on their hips Mm -hmm. and don't understand nearly as much about the law as lawyers do, because then it's two birds, one stone. Our system would be run by lawyer adjacent enforcers. Yeah. Supply and demand too. You need a ton of cops. You don't need that many lawyers. That's C's get degrees in terms of the law. <sighs> well, what type of cop do you think we're going to be dealing with this time? If, if he's got fun stories to tell, then that means he at least has a sense of humor, I imagine. I feel like he's a young cop. I don't think this okay. is going to be like a grizzled vet. You don't think this is going to be fucking Pancake Family? Nah. I ever tell you about Pancake Family? No, do tell. It's the one story that Where Am I wasn't able to sit for. He literally got up and left the oh, room I think because I heard it, gr- it grossed him out so much. Go into it. Um, it's No, I was doing the grizzled cop voice the oh. entire story because it was about a detective who was like, retired. Okay. He was like, I'm back on the law and I'm fucking tired. Shit. I'm fucking too old for this shit. <laughs> And at one point where I'm, I was just like, I like your voice and everything. This story's creeping me out. I can't do the rest of it. I'm going home. He just left. He literally just left. Jesus Christ. Did you finish it We recorded the outro. No, we recorded the outro on a different day when I was able to get him back. Oh. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, it was really funny. But I, it's fun. I would be pissed at the time. I'm sure you were. No, no. Actually, not at all. I loved the story. It's gross as fuck. Mm. The person made, um... The killer, you can't even call him a killer because he didn't kill him. He turned people into big pancakes. Oh. It's just skin. Oh. And then he, like, kept all their organs intact. So, like, he hooked them up to breathing units and then he stacked them on top of each other (laughs) like fucking flapjacks. So it's the pancake version of it's fucking the, the human family. centipede? Yes. Oh, God. Yes, Why? that is the best analogy I've ever Why heard. Why do we need this? I just remember, like, I remember his calling card was, like, a, a, a breakfast diner menu. <laughs> and he and he would just always circle the fucking flapjack this special. That's what I need. Yeah. <laughs> there is a that place, was his calling card. There's a place up in the Poconos that has the famous double triple. And I'm just like... Can't you just say six? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. I love pan- Pancake six. Family shout out. Six cream. No. What was that? Five cream. Five cream. Yeah. <laughs> six cream. <laughs> no, it's five cream. Uh, this is how it feels to chew five cream. <laughs> Gay. <laughs> All oh. right. Um, I'm a police officer in a small town in Texas, and I have some strange stories to tell. Do you want to start? Do tell. I'm ready. Here we go. 
I've been a police officer in Mineral Wells, Texas for going on five years now. If you're wondering, Mineral Wells is about 50 miles west of Fort Worth and has a population of about 16,000. The people here are salt-of-the-earth type people, you know, them God-fearing, hard-working, and kind. But something has always been a little off about them, almost like they're carrying a secret that no one is supposed to know. Mineral Wells became a ghost town, no pun intended, after 7pm, and driving the streets at night can be downright creepy, even from the safety of a patrol car. In the five years I've been here, I've seen and heard some strange things, things I don't believe myself at times. If I hadn't had my own strange experience when I was a child, I'd probably think I was crazy, but I'm not. The things that happen here are sometimes unexplainable, but they are real, and I'd like to relay one of my experiences to you. If you enjoy, perhaps I can tell you more, because I have a ton. To understand Mineral Wells, you first have to understand its history. I learned most of this after I visited the local historical society about six months after I moved here. Apparently the town was settled in 1881 by a guy named J.A. Lynch. After Lynch dug the first drinking water well, haha, <laughs> Lynch. Are we, we going to see some lynching? Is that foreshadowing? Uh, uh... Texas. Black people. Oh. <laughs> he claimed that the strange tasting water cured his rheumatism? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's arthritis. Yeah. Uh, Mrs. Lynch claimed that the water had cured her arthritis as well. Nice. Okay. <laughs> Getting Dude, my bones all lubricated. I'm just going to pause. Why the fuck does apple cider vinegar cure everything? Why is that the, like, the miracle cure-all these uh, days? Because it doesn't. In like 15 years, we're going to find out a ton of people are getting a certain type of cancer because of cancer how much they from use all of the fucking apple cider, apple cider vinegar. vinegar. They drink it. They put it on their bodies. They're just becoming apples. Oh, no. I have used it to get rid of like warts before, but that's it. Okay. Interesting. Well, that's like the acidity though, right? Mm -hmm. I assume. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, mineral enriched water had a primal medicinal value in the 1800s. And soon the word got out about its healing properties. A second well was drug, oh, second well was dug several years later, and then a third. It was out of this third well that a woman with dementia often drank. Guess what happened? Her dementia was miraculously cleared. That's crazy. The local child started calling this third well the crazy water well, and eventually the term crazy water was coined for the miraculous water that flowed from the earth. News about this crazy water spreads far and wide, and by the early 1900s, mineral wells had become the South's greatest health resort, with hundreds of mineral wells, bathhouses, spas, hotels, and the like. People traveled from all over the country in hopes of experiencing the healing powder of the crazy water themselves. As you'd imagine, many of the visitors were old or inf infirm, and many never made it out of the town alive. Oh, fuck. Today, mineral wells is a shadow of its former self. While it still has some industry, it operates mainly as a tourism and retirement community. But don't let that fool you. In this town, Faulkner's famous quote holds deeper meaning for those of us who choose to call it our home. The past is never dead, and it's not even past. It's a pretty good quote. After I had been on uh, force for about a month, I had my first experience with the strangeness of mineral wells. We had gotten a frantic 911 call about a dead body. I still remember the address, 200 Hubbard Street the address of the Baker Hotel. I was working nights at the time. Apparently that's where the rookies start. 100% true. And the call came in about 12.30 a.m. My partner and I were in the area, and it didn't take us very long to get there. When we arrived, the 911 caller was gone, but the body was there, just as described. 
It turned out to be a young woman. She was splayed out on the red brick steps that led up to the front entrance. Her back obviously broken and her head completely smashed. Oh boy. Also, she was totally nude. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> no. It was the first dead body I'd seen, and it was gruesome. You didn't have to be an expert to determine she had fallen from a great height. I remember looking up to see if there were any uh, balconies that she could have fallen from. There weren't, uh, but there were plenty of windows, and since this was an old hotel, they didn't have the safety features that modern-day hotel windows have. In fact, many of the windows were open. I later learned the Baker Hotel had been shut down in the 70s, but no one would ever admit as to why. We secured the scene and called in the investigative unit. The girl turned out to be 29-year-old Pamela Allen. She had been a resident of Mineral Wells all her life and worked as a manager at the local cafe. On the night in question, Pamela had been out with some of the girlfriends at a bar that was near the hotel. One of the girls who had been with her told the investigators that they had been all hanging out on the seventh floor of the hotel drinking after the bars closed, when they suddenly realized that Pamela was nowhere to be found. They began looking for her and found her clothes in a pile in one of the rooms, next to an open window. That's when they realized that she had fallen and called 911. There were only two bits of information they could offer. The first was that Pamela had been overheard had been overheard saying she needed to go meet with Virginia, but none of them knew any friend of hers by that name. The second was that there were rumors in town that she had been having an affair with the owner of the cafe she worked at, but none of them admitted to ever seeing her with him. When I heard all this, it seriously disturbed me. By all accounts, Pamela was a well-adjusted young woman and had no reason to kill herself. Why did she do it? And why did she take all of her clothes off before jumping? Isn't there a song that says, Meet Virginia? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 100%. Uh, fuck, that's going to annoy me. Meet Virginia. That's Pamela all I, Allen. That's all I can think Pamela of is that Warfans. she really liked that song and then she just got fucking vibed naked and killed herself. <laughs> because why not? <laughs> West Virginia. Oh, maybe that's it. Mountain Mama. Oh, no, never mind. I know what you're doing now. <laughs> Take me home, Pamela Allen. <laughs> After the full investigation, I didn't hear much about the case again. The investigators thought the circumstances were odd, but odd things happen in mineral wells, and they had more pressing cases. The case was closed. Jeez, that was very quick to close the fucking case. She killed herself. <laughs> the end. Yeah, Let's go home. Yeah, All yeah, day's so, work. Yeah. It wasn't until about five months later as I was poring over manuscripts at the Historical Society's archives, that I came across a passage that made the hair stand up on my neck. Here's what it said. One story involving the Baker Hotel revolves around a woman known as Virginia Brown. Meet Virginia. <laughs> a resident at the hotel who was the alleged mistress of T.B. Baker. I fucking love how, like, old-timey people always mm -hmm. have, like, those initials. Mm -hmm. The owner and builder of the hotel. According to legend, Virginia was upset over the affair and drunkenly plunged to her death after jumping from the 13th floor. Of course, the fucking 13th floor. Many visitors of the hotel before its closing in 1972 have reported seeing a bloody woman, sometimes wearing a red dress and sometimes nude, rooming the halls around midnight. Now that's fucking cool, right? Yeah. But I just gotta say, the only other line I remember from that song is, She drank coffee at midnight. Uh, oh, oh, you're fucking talking about Jane Says. Is that the song? I think so. I'm done with Sergio. He treats me like a rag doll. I don't think so. No? <laughs> Damn. If I'm wrong, that's gonna be even funnier now. <sighs> All right. 
We're I stopping exactly. the show. Oh no, she Vaseline. <laughs> That's what you're talking about. <laughs> it's like a it's a song about like three different people. It's in the literally weird a song do. called "Meet Virginia by Train." Oh, <laughs> here it comes. That's not it at all. <laughs> no, <Nope>. so wrong. <laughs> That's why it's funny to me. <laughs> it's funny to me how wrong you are. Copyright hit us. <laughs> Yeah, enjoy listening to the video. I'll cut up into this <laughs> part, you dick. You won't cut that now. Probably not. She doesn't know the dress. You never heard this song? Yes, I'm not a train guy. No, but it's played on the radio a bunch. Smokes a pack a day. You wait, that's me. But anyway, she doesn't care a thing about that. Hey, she thinks I'm beautiful. I honestly don't know this one. And I worked in radio for years. <laughs> I'm waiting for the second line. <laughs> this is even from like movies and shit. It blows my mind. That you've never, you've never heard I know some song. other train songs. Yeah, of course. Oh, okay. Now I know it. <laughs> Here at Lots of Pasta, we love train. <laughs> I'm headbanging. Which I don't, by the way. I don't love train. I love pulling a train on Captain Death. Sex jokes. I'm just waiting for it. I didn't know any of these words. I didn't know any of them, except for Meet Virginia and She Drank Coffee at Midnight. Well, I mean, it's good that you knew the title of the song. But it's coming up, I swear. We're just gonna listen to the whole song. Yeah, we're just gonna listen to the entire song. Enjoy. Oh, getting back into the. Oh. I even know the actress. Yeah, was was that the chick from fucking. Uh, Twin Peaks, I think. Urban Legend? Oh, it was the chick yeah. from Urban Legend. Look at her doing her thing. She was very cute. She is a cute she actress. She literally had like a three year window of being an actress. Sometimes you get in and get out. Sometimes you don't really want to get the most of it. Probably, probably got Weinstein, you know? Oh, no! <laughs> no, no, says Train. Oh, she's getting Weinsteined in the video right oh, now. Oh, no. I guess that is Virginia. <laughs> Just gonna listen to the entire song. <laughs> Get fucking copyrighted. From now on, whenever I want to listen to the song, I'm gonna listen to it on this podcast. She did it. There you go. <laughs> she only drinks coffee. Yeah. Can, can we make that a thing now with every one of my podcasts that we have a train break <laughs> where we listen to You're a song? You're gonna have from to train. remind me on the next episode. <laughs> I'll just or, randomly start playing one while you're talking. Or, uh, you know, or. Much like how we just told the story of Virginia Brown uh, jumping to her death after seeing a, vi Baker, a visage yeah. of a bloody woman wearing a red dress, sometimes nude, roaming the halls at night. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, sometimes you just sing trains, meet Virginia. I think that was supposed to be Virginia, is who they're seeing. 
like it was after her death they start seeing her. It's not that she did it because of seeing. Oh. Well, I'm saying maybe this chick saw Virginia and fucking went to go meet her. Mm. Oh, you know? yeah, the, the original chick. Gotcha. Sorry. Oh, no, no. I the, I, you were right. You are correct. <laughs> but I'm I'm also saying this this other chick probably said, meet Virginia. <laughs> well, anyway, this train freaked me out. And I was about to nope right on out of there. Nope. Hell yeah. But before I did, I realized there was a reference to another document. It turned out to be the hotel's ledger from the mid-1900s. I searched for the Virginia Brown name and found it. She had been a resident at that time, and there was a notation under the room heading, room 714. It wasn't then I knew there was something extremely... It was then that I knew something extremely strange was going on in Mineral Wells, Texas. But what exactly? Oh, but... But what? But what? But what? Do you think Texans also listen to Train? Mm. Do you think this cop listened to Train? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, probably, if we're being honest. <laughs> mid mid 2000s, Texas. I think this cop uses bad. Five years. Celine. Five years into his job as a police man and he drives around in his car listening to the radio all day <laughs> probably heard trains meet Virginia at some point we don't know if this is a man this could be a woman oh wow yeah sorry I'm misrepresenting Put genders checking me back what out. are you insidious too oh no <laughs> I don't want to be insidious too anyway in Sid part two, two. <laughs> I wanted to thank everyone for the interest in my experience in Mineral Wells, Texas. I'm grateful for the opportunity to share them. Please keep in mind that although all these various experiences may not fit together logically or chronically, I think they are all a part of a larger puzzle, which I'm still putting together. Now that I like. Jumping around from plot point to plot point makes it more interesting to me. It's harder to put together linearly, but you set the right tone, I don't give a shit. One day, about four months after the incident at Baker Hotel, my partner and I were called to a disturbance at the Veterans <laughs> Affairs Building on Southeast 6th Avenue. Sometimes we would switch shifts with the day patrol, and this was one of those days. When we arrived, there was a crowd of people outside, most of whom looked visibly shaken. As we approached the door, I understood why. The sounds coming from inside were downright terrifying. Deep guttural moans and screams emanated through the air. The sounds were so unnatural that we could not make an initial determination whether the person making them was male or female. And if I'm being honest, at the time I was unsure about whether or not they were even human. We entered into the foyer with pistols drawn and quickly cleared it in the surrounding rooms. All the employees had made it outside, which was good. I immediately noticed the air inside had a strange cold, damp quality to it. Unheard of for summer in Texas, even with the air on. And maybe it was just my imagination, but the sounds seemed to not only be coming from the office at the back of the building, but also from the walls around us. And what was that other thing? Whispers? I glanced at my partner, but he seemed wholly focused on the door in front of us, so we moved to check the handle and found that it was locked. We announced ourselves, but it was soon clear the person inside had no interest in opening the door. 
My partner, being larger, leaned back and then drove his foot right into the handle of the door, breaking the door frame and sending the cheap door flying inwards. For a split second, and I know this sounds crazy, but I could have sworn the man inside was wearing a long white doctor's coat and a white mask over his mouth. But a half a second later, the image in my mind was gone, and before us stood a visibly disturbed older gentleman wearing green fatigues, brandishing a letter opener. It was one of those relatively large but dull kinds that you can get at a rotary club. What little hair he had left was sticking straight out from his head like when you rub your hair against a balloon. He was babbling, mostly incoherently, but we could make out a few words between the moans and cries. <laughs> I love me Virginia by train and I love to listen to another. Not the water again, not the water. It's cold, so cold. It's time for your treatment. I'm a better boy, so much better. I won't run, I won't. Electric shock chair therapy right going on. The here. shock ward. The shock master. <laughs> he moved quickly, raising the hand with the letter opener, and my partner yelled out. Drop it! As we aimed our firearms in unison, then without warning, the man placed his hand palm down on the desk next to him and drove the letter opener into the back of his hand with such force that it somehow pierced the wood on the desk. He looked straight at us with a pale face, eyes cold and wide, with fear, and gasped, He's coming! And he wasn't talking about himself. <laughs> and then he collapsed on the floor. With the letter opener still in the hand? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. He's a sleepy boy. I stayed with the man while my partner ran outside to grab the paramedics, and when I was doing my final sweep of the office, I happened to notice a large half-empty box of mineral water collected and bottled right here in town by Crazy Minerals Company. I grabbed a bottle and shoved it into my pocket. Okay. And as the paramedics were wheeling him out, their initial explanation for his actions were possible early signs of dementia, by the way. My partner called my attention to a small brass sign that had been erected on the outside of the building, reading, Millings Sanitarium National Register of Historic Places, Mineral Wells, Texas, 1929 and there's an actual picture of the sanitarium after the incident at the veterans affairs i wanted to learn all i could about the mineral wells and uh, about a week later i went to the historical society on my day off and as i mentioned in part one to learn about its unusual history later on that night i found myself alone as usual in my apartment deep in thought I tried not to think about what happened with the old man, but I couldn't push it from my mind. It was so strange. The fact that the building had been a sanitarium at one point made it even stranger. At this point, I wasn't even sure I believed in ghosts, or the undead, but what had happened sure pointed to some kind of possession. The only thing I really knew was that I had experienced two otherworldly events, neither of which seemed to be connected, but together seemed to point to something sinister going on in mineral wells what was causing these terrible things to happen and what connection did they have if any to the history of the town and what did the crazy water have to do with it 
I considered leaving Mineral Wells briefly, but then scrapped that idea. I was going to stay and do what I was hired to do, which was to protect and serve the citizens of the great state of Texas, and possibly, if I was lucky, start figuring out the grand secret that seemed to be lurking just beneath the surface. I decided that that plan would start with my partner, Officer James Orr, 15-year veteran of the Mineral Wells Police Department and a lifelong resident of Mineral Wells. No, he's too old for this shit. The next night while on patrol, I bought up the subject of the man at Veterans Affairs to James. Crazy old man, huh? He must have got himself shot. Did you notice anything strange about him? At this point, I wasn't planning on admitting that uh, what I thought I had seen or heard was fearing he was uh, he would think that I was some type of lunatic. Other than the fact that he stabbed himself with a dull letter opener, not really. It was a little cold in that office, but that's sometimes that odd. Weird shit like that happens in Mineral Wells sometimes. It's kind of a running joke around here, you know. I'm sure you've heard of the crazy water. <laughs> he laughed as he said it, so I was pretty sure he didn't buy into it being anything out of the ordinary. Do you drink that stuff? I asked. Certainly didn't. And I wasn't planning on anytime soon. Well, sure. Everyone here drinks it. It has an odd taste, but you get used to it. My grandmother's family moved here in the 1920s, believed it or not, to see if the crazy water could cure her mother's, my great-grandmother's, schizophrenia. It was a snake oil salesman heyday back then. The mineral water was supposed to cure anything and everything. I knew my great-grandmother had to make great sacrifices to get here, boy. I'm not sure whether or not it worked, but uh, she died here sometime after giving birth to my grandmother in 1931. I still have an old picture of her standing in front of one of the crazy water wells. You know, it's funny. I haven't admitted this to anyone before, so don't think I'm crazy. But several years before you got here, I responded to a strange call involving an old woman who had taken too many of her pills and was worried that she was going to die. Ellie, I think her name was. After I arrived, I called Poison Control to make sure she was going to be okay. The woman on the line stated that Ellie should get checked out if she started to feel ill. But the quantity of what she took was not lethal. I comforted her a bit and was about to leave, but she stopped me dead in my tracks with a peculiar story. She said that as she was about to take her pills, a young lady had instructed her to take the entire bottle, dump them all down my throat as she had put it. For some reason she had listened and had taken about a fourth of the bottle before snapping out of it. Confused, I asked her who the young lady was. She said, matter-of-factly, the lady that watches me through the window. Odd, right? So naturally, I asked her which window it was, and she said it was the one in her bedroom. Now, this lady was probably in her 80s and most likely demented, but I still wanted to check and make sure no one was in the house. I walked back to the bedroom and opened the door, and for a split second, I thought I saw a face in the window across the bedroom door. The next moment, it was gone. I searched the room, the closet, and the bathroom, but no one was there. Aside from a slightly strange smell, which I attributed to the age of the house and its contents, nothing was amiss. I checked outside. No one to be found. The place was empty except for the owner, and there was no sign of anyone that had been inside the house. Craziest thing? The face I saw? I swear. I would go to the grave with this memory. 
it is the exact face I've seen a thousand times, standing in front of that damn mineral well. It was my great-grandmama. Hmm. Nice. <coughs> See, that was the best one thus far. Big old huh. I think the other two were kind of just coinky-dinks. Big old hmm. <laughs> So, um, crazy water. Crazy water, crazy water, mineral wells. Water, water's done a couple things to a couple different people in some of the stories we've read. Most importantly, Baraska making people unable to have children. So you know, crazy water, crazy minerals. We got some shit going on here at Mineral Wells. So um, for every person something's that in the water. It, you either get good luck or bad luck. Yeah, man. Hell yeah. Part three. After James confided in me about his experience with his great-grandmother's ghost, we didn't really talk about things like that again for a while. Even though he believed he may have had experienced something and had most likely seen other odd things in his time as a police officer, he still didn't really believe in the paranormal, although he wanted to. Almost like there was a veil in front of his eyes which prevented him from seeing what was really happening in Mineral Wells. I, on the other hand, had abandoned all hope of talking myself out of believing this stuff. I was fully invested. I had my next run-in about a year later. James was out sick, the flu I believe, and I responded to a vagrancy call at the old Norwood Hospital. It had been abandoned for some time, and we had gotten constant reports that a man was living on the third floor and making a racket at all hours of the night. Initially, the MWPD had sort of looked the other way, reason for which I was not privy to but this time I was told to go over there immediately and get him out of there if possible. I arrived just after 10 p.m. and parked my squad car across the street. The Norwood Hospital had been built sometime around 1904, I believe, when Dr. Norwood and his wife had moved to Mineral Wells. It was used as a private hospital, as far as I know, and Dr. Norwood apparently even had some tie to T.B. Baker, but I couldn't recall what that was. That's the old uh, hotel owner. As I was walking up to the entrance, I noticed the flicker of light in the third story window, most likely a candle, confirming that somebody was up there. The front door was still boarded up, but there was a window on the left side of the front of the building that had been broken, and all of the glass removed. I pulled out my flashlight and climbed in. The inside of the building had decayed with age, and all signs that you'd expect in vagrancy were present. Uh, there were old clothes on the floor, empty food containers, beer cans, and the place was in extremely poor condition. The smell was awful, too. I checked the first floor and found nothing. There was an open door that appeared to lead to a basement, but I decided that would not be on my agenda for the night. The second floor was much like the first, except there was also a room that looked like it may have been a nursery or a child's playroom, littered with old stuffed toys, a rocking horse, several rotting bunk beds. It's just as you'd expect. It creeped me out royally. Yep, get the fuck out. <laughs> Usually that's where the nice ghosts are, though. Fuck you, Casper. Children ghosts are nice usually. They're not. They're not too mean. Like the old uh, the toy in that one uh, abandoned hospital. Was it actually Penhurst? It might have been Penhurst. Anyway, when I got to the stairs that led to the third floor, I heard something rustling up in the darkness above me. I'm not gonna lie. It was not real happy about having. Oh, I was not real happy about having to go up there. But the top brass had made it clear that I needed to take care of this tonight. It's the police. I announced to the black ward. If you're up there, I need you to come down. I sat in silence for a minute, listening. Nothing but the wind outside. I began to slowly, slowly ascend the stairs with my flashlight as my guide and my hand on my hip. I swung my flashlight across the room and saw a figure 
Huddled in the corner under several blankets, covering his face, I began to walk towards him cautiously. I smelled the man before I really saw him, but once I did, I realized the smell was more desirable. It appeared to be in his, oh, he appeared to be in his fifties, but I had the feeling that he was much younger. His fingers were gnarled, and his face bore the mask of addiction and depression. When he began to mumble, I noticed his teeth were black and crumbling. Mariana. Is that you? Take, take me now? Sir, I need you to show me your hands. What are you doing up here? I said. This time he spoke more loudly. The children! They won't leave me alone! The poor children! They are missing pieces. Are you here to take me? The children are always playing. They are never quiet. They went to meet the doctor. The water didn't help. They always tell me I never sleep. Are you here to take me? There had obviously been no children in this building for quite some time, but maybe his encounter with them had been of a different sort. I stood the man up and searched his person, finding two dollars in one pocket and a burnt up piece of tinfoil in the other. Ah, heroin. <laughs> I checked his fingers, and sure enough, he had the telltale signs of a long-term methamphetamine use, burnt fingers and all. Meth had always been a relative serious problem in mineral wells. It's cheap, it can be made with mostly household chemicals, and once they start, they can't escape its grip, often for life. I threatened to arrest him for possession of paraphernalia, but he agreed to tell me where he got the meth from instead. Lines Park. As the dopeheads call it, a place known for its drug activity. He didn't have any of it on him, but I did explain to him that he'd be arrested for trespassing. He seemed relieved as I escorted him down the third floor stairs. Back on the second floor, I noticed something I hadn't before. Scrawled in some dark substance on the wall at the bottom of the stairs, okay. the man, Victor was his name it would turn out, noticed it too and just started quietly sobbing to himself. We exited as quickly as possible. As I drove off towards the station, I recalled that I had seen a light in the third floor window when I had first arrived. However, there hadn't been any candles, lit or otherwise, when I had gotten up there. I glanced in my rear view window at the old hospital receding in the background, expecting to see only darkness, but instead, the telltale spark of a candle flickered back, the wind in the trees carrying the faint laughter of children. The Norwood Hospital, circa 1904, before the third floor was added later. Yeah, he's actually taking pictures of things. It's very interesting. Writing on the wall. Mariana is here. Several days later, I paid my first visit to Mary Scott. Miss Scott was known in the community as being a reputable source on mineral wells, lore as well as for her discretion. She had taught at one of the local schools in the 70s and 80s and had retired to her small but well-kept estate on the south side of town, outside the city limits. James had actually set us up. She had taught him in kindergarten and then again in middle school. The Norwood incident had pushed me into full investigation mode, and I needed some answers. I believed this was as good a start as any. I arrived at her place mid-afternoon, dressed in plain clothes, so as to not attract attention to myself. As opposed to my assless chaps. Mmm, ride the pony, money, money. <laughs> now that I was actively seeking information on paranormal activity in mineral wells, I had to be extra careful. At this point, I wasn't even entirely sure I could trust this woman, but I didn't really have a choice. 
Her home was small, cozy, brick house tucked several hundred feet off the ground. A narrow driveway guided me under the sprawling arms of several mature oaks. There was a small pond off to the side with a withered dock and several dogs panting about. I knocked on the door and there was quickly and was quickly greeted by a woman who just appeared to be in her 60s, considerably shorter than me and just beginning to gray around her temples. Kind eyes and a knowing smile, a teacher for sure, and someone who seemed to be wise beyond her years. She invited me in and with a thank you ma'am, I graciously accepted. After some small talk about James and my move to Mineral Wells, we sat down in the living room with our iced teas and got down to business. What can I help you with, dear? She asked. Mrs. Scott, Mary, sorry. I'm not exactly sure how to put this, but I'm just going to come out and say it. I've experienced some things in Mineral Wells that I can't quite explain rationally, I said with hesitation. Go on, she said knowingly. Well... There's something odd about Mineral Wells. I've encountered spirits, or people possessed by spirits, multiple times since I've worked here. The problem is, no one else sees them. Doesn't that sound crazy? Tell me something. She started. Do you drink the mineral water? The crazy water, as they call it? No, I don't, I said. I have a bottle at my apartment, but it's currently unopened. Good. Keep it that way, she said, sipping her tea. <sighs> Hell yeah. Most of what I know comes second and third hand from stories passed down through the generations and the rest from countless hours studying old deeds, contracts, journal entries, and any other documents I could get my hands on. You're right. Something is rotten in mineral wells. Mineral hells, as I call it. And it all started with that cursed mineral water old man Lynch summoned up from the ground all those years ago. By all accounts, he was a sociopath and a scoundrel. I don't drink it either anymore, and from what I've gathered, that's what most... That's what allows people like us to actually see what's actually going on. Most of the locals have lived all... <coughs> lived on it all their lives. It's made them blind to the true face of this godforsaken town. It's also made make them more susceptible to its suggestion, even possession by the other side. Suddenly, several things made sense to me at once. Pamela was born in Mineral Wells and lived here her entire life, and I would venture a guess that Ellie and the man at the VA had too. It also made sense now why James wasn't able to come to grips with the things he had seen. What's wrong with the water? I asked. That's a good question. <clears throat> I believe Mr. Lynch tapped into more than he bargained for when he dug that first mineral well. It sparked a chain of events that has somehow caused the dead to remain in mineral wells long after they passed. The water itself does have extremely high levels of lithium, but I suspect that there is something more to it that causes folks to turn a blind eye to the influence that spirits have on our world. There are others, though, like us, that know the truth. Mary, there is so much more that I want to know, I started, now getting excited. Do you know anything about Dr. Norwood? I have a feeling he is somehow involved in all this. Not much. Only whispers here and there. A name kept coming up, uh, 
Marianne, I believe. Marianna? I asked, remembering the name hellishly scrawled on the hospital wall. Yep, that's it. Marianna. She went on. She was Dr. Norwood's head nurse for much of the time the hospital was open. I believe he was an osteopath by trade, but there were rumors that something else was going on there. What exactly, I'm not sure. Many years ago, I heard the records are said to be hidden somewhere in the building, but I couldn't begin to tell you where or if they're even there at all. He was an ostrich by trade. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> she went on, but the sound of her voice faded from my consciousness. And he became Charlie Brown and was replaced by a singular picture. The dinghy, wooden upstairs, <laughs> the dingy wooden stairs leading down into the basement at the Norwood Hospital. If the records were still in the building, they were down there. Finding them was the first step in unlocking this mystery. I had to find them. I reluctantly cut our conversation short, thanking Mary and telling her we would meet again. I promised to share any further information I found with her. I got the feeling I was leaving that... Oh, I got the feeling as I was leaving that she had stuck her neck out by talking to me, and I was grateful for her help. As I drove back down the long driveway under those old oaken sentinels, picturing Mary alone with her tea and her dogs, I felt a feeling of sadness and weight envelope me, like being wrapped in a thick blanket on the bottom of the ocean. I drove on. That night, I parked my squad car across the street from the Norwood as I had several days earlier. I was on the clock and could easily explain my purpose for being here if questioned about it. And sure enough, as I stepped out of my vehicle, I could see the light again, flickering the third floor window like a modern day will-o'-the-wisp. Will I opened the trunk and grabbed the black satchel inside. Once inside the building, I navigated through the grime and decay to the black hole in the wall that led down to the basement. Thank God for flashlights, I thought. The darkness there seemed palpable, like it was a living entity all its own. I started down the steps, ten and all, and counted each as I went. If I were to lose my light source for any reason, or if I was running, I'd at least have a decent chance of getting back up the stairs without falling or hurting myself. I had also noticed that the 22 steps roughly from the door to the basement stairs. You can never be too careful. Once I made it down, I felt the grit of soil beneath my boots. I guess it made sense that the basement wasn't fully complete in a building as old as this. Surprisingly, it was relatively clean down there, but that was the only positive. The air was damp and musty and heavy with the weight of the building's history. As I swung my flashlight, the darkness retreated on cue, but grudgingly. Old equipment littered the floor along with some old uh, with some decayed furniture and other furnishings. I didn't see any filing cabinets, though. No papers, foldings, nothing. I cursed myself silently for thinking this was a good idea, but I pressed on. The second room felt darker than the first somehow. A cabinet had overturned, and there was a broken... Oh, and there were broken vials and bottles littering the ground. I stepped around them and was surprised when there wasn't, an, uh, wasn't another door in front of me. Just an old coal stove flanked on either side by piles of old bricks and some old rafters. The stairs to the basement were in the back of the building, and I knew I hadn't uh, made it to the back to the front. Made it back to the front, I'm sorry. I doubled back and made sure there were no other rooms or passages before heading back to the room with the stove. I shined my light around. 
I noticed the back wall was brick and that there was a crack running up from behind the stove halfway to the ceiling. Immediately I began removing bricks from the pile in front of the wall until I had enough room to slowly nudge the iron stove out of the way. It was just as I had thought. At some point this basement had flooded, eroding the earth beneath the brick wall and causing the bricks to crack. Since the wall had no weight to hold it, I had done construction in the past and had seen this before. This wall had been built shoddily and probably in a hurry. At the bottom, the bricks weren't even being held together by mortar at all, and a few light kicks, uh, and a few light kicks created just what I needed to proceed. A passageway under the brick wall, into hell for all I knew. My heart was pounding, and I absolutely did not want to go in. I have no trouble admitting that now. I had come too far to turn back, though, so I got on my hands and knees and crawled through the small opening. As I stood up and dusted myself off, my heart froze in my chest. Filing cabinets rows of them. They were similar to the kind offices use today, except they were made of solid wood, probably oak, and very well preserved for their age. They had brass plates on the outside with descriptions. The room appeared to be untouched after all these years. Mary had been right. I walked along the wall quickly, not wanting to waste any more time in this place that I had to, until I found the cabinet I was looking for, the one marked Experimental Experimental. <laughs> the world itself seemed evil somehow. I slowly opened it, and over the creak of wood sliding on wood, I thought I heard the faint laughter of children. <laughs> oh boy. A cold sweat broke out over the skin of my arms, and I got the feeling that I was being watched. Fucking hate that feeling. I grabbed as many files as I could fit in my satchel, closed the drawer, and turned to leave. That's when I saw them. In the middle of the room, standing perfectly still, was a group of children. <laughs> I was paralyzed. There's only one thing worse than a rapist. Boom. A child. A child. No! <laughs> Not by any external force, but the grip of unadulterated fear. They looked back at me, eyes blinking almost in unison, with gleeful smiles. Then it was as if uh, a record skipped, and the children standing there changed. I recoiled in horror as I realized what I was seeing. The girl standing in front had two blank, scarred holes for eyes. The younger boy next to her waved, his hand bearing only two fingers and a thumb. <laughs> Another boy was on the floor, pulling himself forward with the stumps of two missing legs dragging behind. Mm -mm. There were others in the same condition. The record skipped again, and they were whole, all standing still again, grinning from ear to ear. Uh, this, this is a big nope. <laughs> big old nope. This is a big nope. I found my body could move again, so I turned and ran as fast as any human ever had before, crawling under the wall before sprinting the rest of the way out for the godsaken building. Back through the basement, ten steps up, twenty-two steps out. As I ran, I heard the children singing behind me. <laughs> as it got louder, I realized it wasn't a song, but a nursery rhyme, one that still haunts me to this very day. One for tongue and two for nose. Three, four eyes and four, four toes. Ring the bell, the time is near. Ding dong, Mariana's here. Ding dong, Mariana's here. That's pretty awesome. Ah! <laughs> Mariana did some. Oh! She did some bad things to those kiddos. I had to go there, and lo and behold, <laughs> creepy ghost kids. What if you would have touched, you know, a different filing cabinet? Then maybe you would have had different ghosts. I uh, go. 
Clown ghost. <laughs> <laughs> I had to open up the file that said. Oh fuck! Clown ghost. <laughs> Bing bong, Mr. Ding Dong's here. <laughs> Bing bong, look at my ding dong. Oh shit, dude. That was the uncensored uh, Well, version. we're halfway through the first story. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I like the build. I think the writing's pretty good. Yeah, writing's fine. Um, no, no true stereotypes, just kind of doing that creepypasta thing it do, which is just kind of, here's a little story, here's a little story, here's a little story, and maybe we're getting somewhere. This is the story of a ghost. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wasn't even gonna come in and say anything else, because that, that, that is what it is. What? Back at my apartment, I sat alone under, part four! Back in my apartment, I sat alone underneath the single light illuminating my small dining table, head in my hands. I could still see the young girl's hollow eyes staring blankly back. Well, technically they're not staring because the they're empty. Eyes, the devil's eyes that are I slowly shuddered, reaching into the satchel on the table and slowly pulling out the five folders I had retrieved from the filing cabinet at Norwood. They were legal-sized, olive in color, only slightly faded. They looked no different from any other folder you might come across at your office. What they signified, however, was something much more sinister and damning. I reached for one, but couldn't bring myself to open it. I stared at them for a while before putting them back in the satchel and closing the flap. I was exhausted, terrified. I had had enough, at, the le at least for that night. Yeah, he doesn't want to look at those unpaid taxes. In the morning, I still couldn't bring myself to look at them. Something had happened to me the night before, the nature of which is hard to explain, but I'll try. I felt dull, not as in uninteresting, but as if the bright and polished parts of me had been scratched off, rubbed away, leaving only raw and faded parts behind. Is that what depression feels like? Oh, man. I think it's easy to pretend you know how you would react if you ever came face to face with a true ghost or spirit. I think what we really see in the movies and television desensitizes us to how it would really feel if we experienced it ourselves. Any of these fuckers ever come running down the hallway with a big old hairy nutsack flopping all over? I don't, don't want to be rude. No, I don't want don't to step trying, over boundaries. Not trying to make this the worst day on the job anyone's ever had. But do any of these children ever have like a huge cum shot? Or a donkey dick? <laughs> Uh, shirt, <laughs> shirt brother. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> that type of terror is not something the mind can manage on its own. I'll tell you that. The body takes over. Instinct, perhaps. Something primal woven into our DNA. It leaves you changed. Left me changed, anyway. Changed my diaper. It was changed. probably... <laughs> it was probably almost a week before I mustered the courage to find out what was inside the folders. The first file appeared to be a file for a seven-year-old boy from South Carolina who was admitted for treatment of leukemia, referred to as Charlie. I flipped through the pages until I found one with a surgical note, heading entitled, Replantation of Severed Limb of Minor Child. It went on to describe in detail a surgical procedure with the purpose of reattaching the subject's severed hand. The words were technical in nature, and I don't understand some of them preparation of the stump including the shortening of both bone by one centimeter repair of the radial artery ulnar nerve and median nerve 
was attempted along with two veins, one of the volar aspect and one of the dorsum. I skipped over to the next page and found under the bottom, surgical outcome, failure to reattach hand. Beside it, in a woman's flowing script, something was scribbled. Mother sent to MS. I shuddered at the thought of a seven-year-old losing a hand, but how had Charlie been admitted for leukemia and ended up having his hand severed? Also, who was MS? Possibly Mariana? I flipped back two pages and found what I was looking for. You know, back in the day, they used to hit kids' hands with them rulers, so maybe Charlie was just being a bad student. Or maybe he's from, uh, maybe he's from, uh, some type of Middle Eastern, uh, city, and he stole from the wrong merchant. Yep, that does and happen. They, uh, and they took his hand as, uh, as retribution. Probably, uh, got caught jerking off by the mother, so she took it away. Yeah, got, got, uh, hair on his palms. <laughs> Preparation notes. Clinic, is that a word? Clinicians? Clinician? Clinic's third attempt at attaching a child's severed appendage. Subject Charlie was mildly sedated with heroin hydrochloride and given a local anesthetic at the right wrist, fully conscious. M assisted with cleaver. Severed the hand cleanly. Mother watched from observation room. (laughs) What a great time. With popcorn. (laughs) I sat in shock as the realization crept in. I didn't want to believe it. I quickly scanned through the other files, but found similar accounts of gruesome reattachment surgery, which confirmed what I was already suspected of. Mariana was cutting up children. And then Dr. Norwood was attempting to put them back together again. Like a bunch of Lego blocks and people. You know, Humpty Dumpty. The girl was missing eyes. The nursery rhyme. The room upstairs... And even what Victor had said, it all made perfect sense now. Dr. Norwood seemed to be practicing his surgery on unsuspecting children who had been admitted for unrelated diseases or ailments. It happens. What I didn't understand was how he was getting away with it. Surely the parents didn't stand by and watch their children get cut into pieces by psychotic nurse. There's more to it. I knew I wouldn't find it in the files, but I shoved them away in disgust. Afterwards... The depression set in deeper and more fully. I still had a job to do, however, and that was to protect the citizens of Mineral Wells, Texas. I tried to go about my usual work handling traffic accidents and other small crimes, the typical happenings in a small Texas town. And at one point, I think I was hoping that I would forget what happened and could just return to being a police officer. Maybe then I would feel normal and whole again. But as you obviously know by now, Mineral Wells had other plans for me. I heard one day about a young child from a prominent family in town who had suffered an accident while trying to operate a riding lawnmower, obviously without his parents' permission, and the blade had mangled his left arm all the way up to his elbow. It ended up having to be amputated. It was reported as a terrible tragedy. I must have been the only one who noticed, based on my close review of the picture. The local newspaper ran up the model of the mower that the child had been injured by, but the child's legs couldn't even have reached the pedal. There was also the curious case of Brad Delaney, city council president and member of the First United Methodist Church, who one night took the 45 he had hidden under the mattress and killed his wife in cold blood while she slept. One shot, right to the temple. Brad confessed, quote-unquote, saying that it must have been him that shot her. 
seeing as how it was his gun and no one else had been in the house. But he certainly didn't remember doing it. They found him that morning still asleep next to his murdered wife, mattress stained, crimson red. One evening... Why does Delaney sound familiar? Is that a code name? I feel like this guy's using popular names for Probably. these characters. Probably. <laughs> One evening I responded to a report of an awful smell coming from a student's room at Weatherford College, Mineral Wells Branch. The student had not been seen in several days, and based on the smell coming from the room, the administration did not want to enter the room themselves, fearing at best a dead body and at worst foul play. The college was located on the old side of Fort Walters, which had been a military installation during World War II. Father Delaney. Father Delaney. I'm going to feel horror. Oh, okay. I had run across Fort Walters in the historical archives and knew little about it. At one point during the war, it had been the largest infantry replacement training center in the United States, and several famous World War II soldiers had been trained there. I had run across several accounts of a soldier, apparently afraid of being sent off to war, who committed suicide in the barracks and could still be heard, pacing the halls on the anniversary of his death. When I arrived, security led me to the student's room. As reported, the smell was foul and appeared to be that of a decomposing body. The security guard unlocked the door and slowly pushed it open, and that's when I saw him. In the middle of the room, hanging from a fan by a bedsheet, was the student. His face was bruised, swollen, and his eyes were bulging from his head, white and red. A female student had passed by the room and screamed out, causing the security guard to frantically remove her from the vicinity, leaving me alone with the corpse. I looked around the room to find any signs of a struggle, but nothing else was amiss. That's when I called to investigate. That's when I called the investigative unit to take over. I found out several days later about something odd one of the investigative officers had found and couldn't explain. The entire room had been cleaned. No books, papers, clothes out of place, except for a single folded piece of paper found under the desk. The officers had thought it would have been a suicide note, but the words written inside it didn't make any sense to them, but it did to me. I cannot go to war. I'm sorry, Mother. Camp Walters. Several weeks later, while at a coffee shop that I frequent only bottled water, no coffee for me, I noticed a man several tables over staring at me. When I looked his way, he sort of flinched and acted like he was at, been looking somewhere else. I made a mental note of his appearance, 60s-ish, years old, dark-haired, wearing some kind of uniform. He was holding a cup of coffee and I could see that th his hands were dirty, gnarled from manual labor, not exactly the type of person who typically frequents a coffee shop. When I got up to leave, I could feel him watching me. Over the next several weeks, I saw the same man three more times, always far enough away to maintain cover but close enough to see what I was doing. I was pretty sure he was following me by that point, but honestly, I had no clue as to why. He seemed harmless enough, so I wasn't frightened. I was just curious, and I got the feeling he was sizing me up, if that makes sense. One day, I awoke to a note tucked into the side of my door, and I opened it and read the hastily scribbled words written on the pack of a receipt from a local garage. Coffee shop, 3 p.m. I'll admit I was a little nervous. This person knew where I lived, although I shouldn't have been hard to follow. 
The coffee shop was safe. It was a public place, so I didn't see any reason why I shouldn't go. I had never pictured as... I never pictured myself as the type of person that would respond dutifully to the instructions written in a shady note stuffed into my doorframe. But the times, they were a change in... <laughs> alright, alright. And depression or not, it was time to get back to the investigation. I arrived at three to find my new friend seated in his usual spot and he saw me come in. And a moment later, he was out of his seat walking down the hallway at the back of the shop. I followed him, exiting out the back door to the employees used for taking out the trash, and he was standing there lighting a cigarette, looking generally nervous and disheveled. Want to tell me why you've been following me, Stan? I started, probably sounding a bit more stern than I actually felt. I found that people tended to follow instructions better if you spoke to them by name, and the patch on his uniform had provided that information. I just had to be sure. Mary told me you two had talked, but I wanted to make sure you were okay for myself. Mary Scott, I thought. He must have been one of the others that she had been talking about. Those that knew the truth about mineral wells. And what did you find out by following me into a coffee shop? Well, for starters, you all you drink is regular bottled water. No coffee, no tap water. Also, I didn't find any of those crazy water bottles outside in the trash of your apartment. A. Creepy. B. Touche, I thought. <laughs> this guy was smarter than he looked. So, what am I doing here? He threw down his cigarette. Mary said you knew what was going on in Mineral Wells. Said you may be trying to do something about it. I wasn't sure I trusted them at this point. He could see it on his face. He could see it on my face. Oh, don't worry. I, I don't drink the water either. I've never touched stuff. Uh, my father made sure I understood that. Who was your father? He was an orderly at the old milling sanitarium. That damned place. I know of it, I said coldly. I thought you should know what he told me about that place. He paused for a minute and then went on. He said it was the scariest place he ever stepped foot in. Oh, no. He's talking about his dad. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. He said it was the scariest place he ever stepped foot in. Uh, he helped uh, with patients, uh, administered medicine, and cleaned the rooms, so he was familiar with the goings-on. He told me about the different types of treatments they would perform on the patients there. Uh, electroshock therapy, buzz buzz, uh, experimental surgeries, chop chop, uh, psychological experiments, ah. uh, your mother never loved you, uh, sleep deprivation studies, why uh, can't I sleep? Even some waterboarding. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, terrorist. Uh, the screams were the worst part, he said. I know they aren't exactly the type of bedroom stories you should tell your children, but I don't think he could help himself. He couldn't sleep for most of his adult life, and his mother died when he was young. Uh, the place was hellish, he said. But they also had an influx of new patients, regardless of how bad it was. Did he say anything about where all the patients came from? pieced it together when news got out about the mineral water. People came from far and wide to be treated. Bathhouses and spas were some of the main attractions for those with less serious ailments of the body, but Millings promised a cure for every dementia and psychological issue under the sun. Uh, so people poured in. Most never left. Business was good. Oh, to be a worm in a peach tree. Worm in a peach tree? I repeated. I hadn't had that turn of phrase before. Oh, it's just something my dad used to say. It basically means someone is taking advantage of a situation. 
There were also some backroom deals with some of the other businesses in town. I think the baker manager would refer people to Millings, as most of the out-of-towners ended up here first. I also know that Dr. Norwood would sometimes send patients their way. Uh, my dad was always the most curious about those patients, he said, uh, because they were always seemed to be pretty healthy people, uh, at least when they first got there. <laughs> they always screamed the loudest. It suddenly got cold and dark where we were standing, and I looked up to see the thunderheads rolling in. We'd have some weather tonight. I changed the subject. How do you know Mary, and what is her part in all of this? He looked like he was about to respond and then thought better of it. Uh, you'll have to ask her about that one. The bitter, biting rain that began to fall cut off any further conversation between us. Early the next day after my shift the previous night, I pulled out the files again. I had a hunch about something Stan had said. Plus, the middle of a thunderstorm is always the perfect time to read about sadistic shit. I found Charlie's file and flipped it to the page I was looking for. I found this hastily scribbled word again. Mother sent to MS. It wasn't a person. It was a place. Milling's Sanitarium. Dr. Norwood had been sending the perfectly healthy parents of the children he was experimenting on to be experimented on themselves. I looked back through the children's files, and my other hunch was also confirmed. All of the children were from out of town. Oh, fuck. South Carolina, Georgia, Virginia, Rhode Island, Tennessee. I finally got it. Imagine this. It's the early 1900s. There's no television, social media, or cell phones. People keep in touch through letters, for Christ's sake. Your child is terminally ill with cancer or some other illness, or perhaps it's you that's sick and you've lost all hope, until you hear about Mineral Wells, Texas, home of the crazy water that heals all that ails you. You'll try anything. You pack up your bags and make the long journey to Texas, and once you're there, you'll try anything, and you're never heard from again. For it to work, the families need to be from anywhere but Texas. Check. You need a network of conspirators to make sure all loose ends were also tied up. Check. Dr. Norwood got the children and Millings got the parents or anyone else from the baker who was dealing with a psychological infirmity. If anyone ever tracked you down at Millings, which would be nearly impossible, who would believe your crazy stories? By that time, you'd be so drugged, emotionally scarred, or both, that no one would dream of interrupting your quote-unquote treatment. Could law enforcement have been involved as well? The scope of it blew my mind. Think of all the suffering and death. Think of the poor children, all because of some foul-smelling water. The hope-filled human spirit. A group of doctors more sadistic than any you could ever imagine. Worms and a peach tree. The children. The children. Not the children. The children love the <laughs> Part five. Man. I stayed in bed for the next three days. <laughs> yeah, man. I was pretty depressed. I had to call in sick to work, which was fine, because I very rarely miss my shifts, but I wouldn't have cared either way. I was even deeper with the dullness now. Like, there was several inches of something between myself and the world. I could barely breathe through it. 
When I would get up for the food or to use the restroom, I felt more like the marionettist pulling the corresponding string for each body part than like myself. I wondered why I was the one paying for all the suffering that I had discovered. It's some heavy shit. On the fourth day, I willingly, I willed myself out of bed. I got dressed, put my gear on, and headed out the door. I had somewhere to be. The 20 minute drive to Weatherford, Texas, definitely improved my mood a bit. The stark scenery, flat land, and trees is calming sometimes. The Mineral Wells Public Library was closed indefinitely for repairs. Some issue with the contractors who were supposed to fix the roof. So the annual Mineral Wells Day presentation had been moved to Weatherford Public Library. Our precinct likes its officers to participate in community events as much as possible, and this year it was my turn to attend. The presentation concentrated on the rich history of Mineral Wells and the brave leaders that built uh, from a one-well town to a booming resort community. The irony did not escape me. J.A. Lynch was the ultimate hero of the day, but I knew otherwise. I sat in the back and listened off and on, but was mostly lost in my own thoughts. When it concluded, I stepped outside to speak briefly to one of the presenters to thank them for their support of our community outreach program. But a familiar face was already speaking to her. It was Mary Scott. I should have known I would see her here. We exchanged glances when she was done, and a moment later she walked over to me and spoke. You look like hell, dear, she said, matter-of-factly. Oh, the honesty of Southern women. She could obviously tell something was wrong. Appreciate that, I joked. A little levity never hurt anyone. Mary, I, uh, I found files in the basement of that hospital. Dr. Norwood and his nurse were performing experiments in young children and sending the parents over to Milling's sanitarium to get rid of the witnesses. Mary looked at me intently. I know, she said. Oh, fuck, Mary, what the hell? A dagger shoved into my gut. What can little old Mary do? <coughs> you know, that's that's kind of the, the sadness of seeing such a grand fucking system mm-hmm. operating at the worst possible outcome. They all know. It's like our own health care. Oh, it's like my ex-girlfriend. It's like my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> Wouldn't have done any more damage than what her words had just done to me. Start from a dagger. A dagger shoved into my gut. Wouldn't have done any more damage than the words she had said. So I had risked my life and sanity in a basement for... What? Some sick game she was playing? She looked around to see if anyone was listening, then motioned for me to follow her around the corner of the building. I had a mind to walk off, but followed against my better judgment. Only half of me hoped you'd find them. The other half, well, I'm sorry I didn't tell you. I had my reasons. There are... She paused, trying to find the right word. Consequences for talking about the events of Mineral Wells' past. From the living and the dead. Remember how I said I no longer drank the mineral water? Well, I did for many years of my life, which makes me vulnerable. She stopped and pulled up the sleeve on the shirt she was wearing. I saw two long, lengthwise cuts that went from her wrist almost to her elbow, almost healed. They were just deep enough to bleed and scar, but not deep enough to hit any major veins. I did them myself, two days after our conversation. Jesus. But I don't remember doing it. A warning, I suppose. From who? I said. Feeling the guilt rising inside me, I had gone from being angry at her to feeling sorry for her that quickly. My emotions were very unstable as of late. 
She hesitated briefly, like Stan had, then continued. Did those files mention Dr. Norwood's nurse? Mariana, I answered. She was my grandmother. The realization hit me like a bombshell. No wonder she didn't want to tell me. It also explained how she knew about the files and everything else. She went on. She came to Mineral Wells in 1910 seeking treatment for her mental disorder. I'm not exactly sure what it was, but my mother said she heard voices. Mariana was only 24 then. I guess Dr. Norwood thought he could use her. She had my mother at least six years later. She paused again. I'm sorry, Mary. You don't have to tell me all this. It's too dangerous, my voice cracked. Yes, I do. It's time the truth came out. Growing up, you always think your parents are perfect, and after you get a little older, you start to notice things about them. My mother was missing several fingers on her right and left hands. They, they had operated on her when she was a child. Found that out later. She had other scars, too. She was starting to cry. By her own mother, I asked incredulously. Yes, which is how I know the same could happen to me. I saw my grandmother in my dreams the night I got these scars. I heard the bell, which meant it was time for one of the children to go with Mariana. It was my turn. She was now sobbing. I put my arm around her. The past is never dead, I thought. She wiped her eyes. Why was my mo Why my mother named me after her, I'll never understand. But perhaps she didn't either. She pulled She pulled away, then turned back around. She pulled away and turned back around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's one last thing. I tried to tell you this the last time we spoke. You need to go see Madame Teresa. She's here in Weatherford and does psychic readings. Pay no mind to the surface of what you see. That's only for the tourists. Teresa is an old soul. She should be able to help you. I almost balked, but thought better of it. I had seen and heard the dead with my own eyes and ears. It wasn't a huge leap to believe that someone else could speak to them. Thank you. I'll do it, I agreed. I hope she can help you the rest of the way. I'd given you all I can. She looked like she meant it. Oh, I'm gonna miss her. It wasn't hard to find Miss oh, Teresa. Fuck off. <laughs> she... <laughs> I'm ready to die. You're gonna I'm calling you're, Mama. You're gonna live with what you've done. What you've seen. She was, after all, the only local business with a sign that bore the images of two hands holding a crystal ball even if she was located several miles from the city limits. I still had my doubts, but I had no other option at this point. The small shop had seen better days. The carpet was purple and faded and beads and other baubles hung from the low ceiling haphazardly. The smell of eucalyptus and cinnamon filled the air, covering the smell of cats that tramped around the room. For the most part, at least, the sign inside said, by appointments only. But I hope she already knew I was coming. <laughs> See what you did there? I hope she already knew. Not the appointment only is a serious sign. You gotta call and you gotta make an appointment uh, first. You can't just show up like this, even no. though I can read minds. Yeah, it's not cool to just show up and say, yes, I saw you coming and you inconvenienced me hours ago when I saw it coming and now I'm inconvenienced now when you showed up. Uh, my, my poem says no one will love me. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I took a seat as uh, I took a seat as at the large, <laughs> ornately carved wooden table in the center of the room. 
That's when a woman appeared from behind the curtain in front of me. She wore a long dress, rough spun and voluminous, with a hood on the back. Oh, nice. Nice witchy woman. She was dark-haired, and her wrinkled, saggy skin was the same. I couldn't see her eyes. She wore a mask over them. Oh, interesting. But instead of eye holes, the mask was solid, with eyes finely painted in their correct places. It was supremely unnerving, like looking at a life-size doll that had come back to life. Is this the little girl? But, like, mm. she was a ghost. Mm. Mary sent me was all I could muster. I see. She replied. Come with me. And with that, she disappeared behind the curtain again. I slowly got up and followed her back. The room behind the curtain was much smaller than the main room, with only a small, simple wooden table in the middle. In the four corners of the room were small painted statues depicting animals, totems I believe they are called, a goose, a mountain lion, a hummingbird, and a gopher. Interesting mix. I recognized the eyes. They were the same that had been painted on Teresa's mask. She was already seated at the table, so I sat down across from her. I noticed her hands were as wrinkled and weathered as I had ever seen, but gentle somehow. I tried to focus on them. Looking at her face scared me, frankly. I sensed that she could feel my discomfort. We didn't have to speak about Mary or my purpose here. It was clear she understood. Can you speak to the dead? I managed to squeak out. I... I have spoken to them. Dead, you say. There is no death. There is only a change of worlds. That is what my people believe. But her voice rolled slowly and rhythm No, it didn't. Like a train rolling over like its tracks. Like train the band <laughs> singing about coffee. Oh, Virginia. And Virginia. Why are they in mineral wells? And why are they tormenting the living? When man leaves this world, he passes into the spirit realm. Spirits are always around us. But the dead are not powerless. They can be incited to violence, just as man can. Mineral wells and the water it is named after are cursed. But the exact source of the curse is hidden to me. I do have my guesses, though. In Pueblo mythology, there is a spirit known as Teshuni. I believe it is similar to the spirit depicted in the Christian Bible, who appears as a snake in the Garden of Eden. Pishuni is known as an interloper. His purpose is to create strife. It was he who tempted the first humans and disrupted their harmony with nature. I believe whomever first coaxed the mineral witch water from the depths of the earth may have been visited by Pishoni. A deal may have been struck. The water would bring great wealth, but there would be a price. When the first men used the water to deceive those who honestly sought it, the price was exacted. The water was cursed, and all those who died in mineral wells while seeking the water would remain in exact their own vengeance against the ancestors of those who brought about their deaths. If it wasn't Pashuni, it may have been some other demon. <laughs> In the end, it's of no consequence. 
It was ultimately man's lust for power, an insatiable greed that cursed minimal, min, mineral wealth. I replayed all of the strange events I had encountered during my time in mineral wells in my mind. Meet Virginia. Virginia Brown. James's great-grandmother, Mariana. The man at the VA. And even the children. All had come to Mineral Wells seeking treatment for something. There were others that I was unsure of, like the spirits involved in the Fort Walters suicide, Brad Delaney's murder of his wife, and the lawnmower accident. But I had a hunch those spirits had done the same. If I wasn't truly numb before, I was now. My eyes seemed to roll in my head. I'm not sure if I passed out, but all of a sudden, Teresa's hands were on mine. There is a dark cloud over you. You must be careful, she said cryptically. I looked around the room, trying to concentrate on something, and my eyes locked on the gopher totem. Although she couldn't see me, she knew. The totems, yes. They are for protection. My people believe that spirit animals can guard man from evil. They guard this room. One for water, one for mountain, one for air. And one for mountain again, except I'm going to call it Earth this time. <laughs> the gopher guards the ground, which is the third one, if you think about it. Hopefully he will guard you too. <laughs> but your eyes, I started, not thinking clearly. I see better without them. <laughs> okay. I slowly yeah, regained my composure instead of shakily. <laughs> Teresa put her arms around me and guided me into the main room. Hey, maybe we should go out for a beer sometime, you know? <laughs> uh, you got to choose. You, you can see them all. No, I can't. <laughs> As I was about to leave, she spoke again. There's something else! I hesitate to say this in front of you in your condition, but I must. You have a friend in grave danger. I was already out the door, stumbling to my squad car. <laughs> I didn't hear any of that shit. I was gone. It's actually in the story. <laughs> I arrived at Mary's house about 15 minutes later. It was evening, and the sun was creeping behind the horizon, painting the sky with multicolored hues of lavender and red. I didn't notice any of her dogs running about as I pulled up with my lights on and sirens blasting, neglecting to turn them off as I exited the vehicle. I drew my weapon instinctively even though it had a little chance of protecting me or Mary from an evil spirit. I slowly crept towards the door and found it unlocked. I was barely seeing clearly at this point, but I found my way inside. My boots squished on the floor of the living room. I looked down to the carpet soaked with so much blood that it had created a standing puddle, one that was forced to walk through rather than around. This went against every bit of my training, but I was not thinking clearly at the time. The dullness had overcome me. It was then that I noticed uh, there were body parts floating in the sea of red. A tongue, a foot, an eye. I retched once, then again. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Still want to get a beer after this? No. <laughs> in a daze, I followed the trail of blood through the living room and into the kitchen. It was worse there. The entire floor was red, and there were more body parts. Pieces of flesh and bone may be more accurate. It was hard to make out anything among the gore. The smell of death permeated the air. Or was that only my fear? Mr. EMT guy, how many liters of blood are in a human body? 
It's only like eight. Oh, okay. If you lose like more than two, you're in trouble. But can't you like spread that out is what I'm saying. How much of a room could you really dirty with a bunch of body parts? I mean, blood is funny because like... It almost dries immediately. I once walked into a, a house where a person ended up just cutting like a wart off of their fucking... No, it wasn't even a wart. It was a, a varicose vein. Oh, shit. Okay, yeah. So they cut a vein and... It looked like somebody straight up, like, murdered somebody throughout the house. Because they, like, they cut the vein in, like, the kitchen. And for some reason, they ran up to, like, their upstairs bathroom instead of the downstairs bathroom. So it was just everywhere. Was the everywhere. steps looked terrible. But she was absolutely fine. It's so, just like, you nick the right part and the blood just keeps going. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so I guess I guess a body... I It's hard to imagine, like, puddles everywhere, though. I, yeah. I suppose that's... Like, even I've told the story of helping that dude out in the one um, wine and spirits store where, like, it was just, like, a giant pool of blood there. But, like, this is multiple rooms. Mm. Yeah. What, are you uh, falling Nick his head? No, you never heard this story? <laughs> yeah, uh, standing in a wine and spirits on Halloween trying to pick up some alcohol before going to a party that night. Uh, dude slips his cane. Uh vodka bottle made a glass slashes on the ground but not before cutting up his entire arm from, mm. from wrist to elbow pretty yep. much Oof. within two seconds i had his cane his glasses and him standing up covered covered in blood and i'm just holding on to his arm as the blood is just fucking going right through and i'm just like someone anyone towels paper towels towels something help please <laughs> like, I, was, all... I, was, I was almost ready to take my own shirt off and like wrap it around Trying this thing and like hold his arm yeah. but like i liked my shirt <laughs> <laughs> that's the best cherry on top of the story <laughs> i don't good. think i ever said that when I, i've told the story three or four times and i don't think i ever said that part <laughs> But, like, the thought crossed my mind of, like, taking the shirt off my own back to, like, help this guy. But I knew that, like, the minute the minute people saw blood, the security guy, who was always out of wine and spirits, immediately mm. called the cops. But this dude comes running out of the back room with a thing full of paper towels, like a box, like a... Like, okay. for the bathroom, like a genuine roll of paper towels. So I was like, cool, like, I didn't have... My that work, long to really think about it but like no i stayed with him the entire time we nice. kept we kept it elevated i kept pressure on it the entire time um uh loaded him up into an ambulance uh they asked if i wanted to come because i was the one who was helping him the most and he was like you don't have to come it's fine and he he drove off it's a good story though where yeah. would you have put the tourniquet i mean above you know above the cut yeah. but it was still it, always it high was, and tight it wasn't just the tourniquet though it was just it was so much blood like you could mm -hmm. see into the dude's fucking arm mm -hmm. and it, it was wild was like the glass still in there too no clean fucking cut hmm. clean fucking cut interesting it was the top of the bottle okay like where like if you ever you ever chop a, a champagne bottle before no like with a knife exactly like that exactly like mm -hmm. that okay yeah, just formed a little fucking... Imagine, like, how a needle punctures the skin. Yep. But being dragged across yeah, someone's fucking it's jagged arm. as fuck. Yeah. Gnarly. That's not fun. Okay, Through my tears. We? Yeah, through my tears, I found my way through the kitchen and around the small island in the center. It was there I found Mary, or what was left of her. Right. Slumped against the fair cabinets. The far cabinets, sorry. 
they're not very fair with all the blood and, and guts on them. <laughs> I wanted to say something a while ago that you almost have like a you. There aren't many people on this show who I make fun of when they read. It's mostly just where am I? But uh, you got a Doctor Steve Brule thing going on where you, where you just throw R's and S's where I, they don't belong. I actually it's like, never learned how to just, read. I just uh, I, I remember a lot of just, words. I was just thinking, uh, pick up a telephone and you call the fryer department. <laughs> Use your head. Be, be smart about for, it. For your health. For, for your health. <laughs> Blood all over the floor. We got uh, Mary, Mary Schmickens here. Go, go get some travels and just wrap your arm up, silly. I, 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 I want it and I want you to make fun of me. So. It's, it was good only... it's good that we're finally doing this after like 18 episodes. <laughs> anyway, back to Mary. Her face wasn't hers anymore. Oh, great. It seemed to me like someone professionally done movie prop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seemed to me like some professionally done movie prop. How well it was, yeah. Her nose had been sliced cleanly off, and there were two bloody holes where her eyes had been. Peekaboo. I wish I had Teresa's mask to cover them up. Maybe then she could see again, like Teresa. Wow, dark joke there, bud. The truth finally sank in. This was all my fault. I had dragged Mary into this, and she had lost her life helping me. I had killed her. Nah, not literally. My knees collapsed, and I sank into the grime. My hand landed on something cold and slippery that appeared to have fallen from Mary's hand. A large kitchen cleaver. Which is what she had said about her grandmother to her mom, right? Something Mm -hmm. about grabbing a cleaver. Well, well, well. Alright, let's finish this shit off. Part six, end of part one, Mineral Wells Saga. I said I was going to miss Mary. Miss Mary. Callback. They found me covered in gore and vomit right where I had collapsed because I fell into the blood and I threw up on myself and then it mixed with the blood and then I threw up more on myself and then more blood. And then he went to jail for murder. The end. The neighbors had gotten tired of the constant vomiting and blood that they found uh, and the blaring sirens of the call of the police. And James was there along with several other officers. Jesus Christ, man, there's a bloodbath in here. What the fuck happened? It was too late. I tried to stop it. I whispered as he pulled me. No, who did this? <laughs> who did this? <laughs> That's how... What's going on? What's going on? What happened? Very schminkous. Hurry up. Happy birthday. <laughs> uh, big boobies. Say who did this one more time. Oh, let me get into the acting mood. Uh, 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 who did this? <laughs> All right, I'll be right. Who did this? It was, but I couldn't put the words together. What could I say? Is any of this your blood? Are you hurt? No, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm not fine, I thought. <laughs> what a meme. <laughs> I'm fine. In minutes, the whole team was there, rolling out the yellow tape, photographing everything and collecting evidence. In a small town like Mineral Wells, you won't see everyone in hazmat suits dusting things for fingerprints and setting up lasers that show trajectory of bullets and such. The investigators do mostly everything, and they do it really well most of the time, although I would have hated to be the guy that had to collect all those body parts. My clothes, shoes, rest of the gear I was wearing was collected in clear plastic bags. 
was photographed from head to toe, blood swabs were taken. Because I was an officer, I was allowed to go home and shower before heading up to the precinct to give a statement. I know that any other civilian would have been arrested on the spot. I arrived at the precinct, showered and clean-shaven, my black satchel on my shoulder. I was taken back to the room before the interview criminals, where we interview criminals, asked to sit, offered a cup of coffee. I politely declined. We have a little camcorder that is set up in the corner that we always switch on after the tedious process of deleting some old interviews. I was nervous at this point. Shouldn't I be meeting with a superior to give my statement? Instead, I was reading my Miranda rights. I decided to decline my right to have an attorney present while I was questioned. I had nothing to hide. Looking back now, I realize that this is my first mistake, but considering the almost catatonic emotional state I had been in for the same time, logic and reason had deserted me, and the fire inside me, the one inside all of us that urges us to fight at all costs, had been all but extinguished. I told my story from beginning to end, the possessions, the experiments, and even what Teresa said. All of it. It had come out. I showed them the files as proof. I pleaded with my fellow officers to stop drinking the water and to start looking into the strange occurrences in mineral wells. I begged them to help me shut down the company, bottling and shipping this cursed water across the country, and they played along. Maybe just to keep me talking. But the looks I got when I explained Mary had mutilated herself, well, let's just say that they weren't friendly. I'm sure you can imagine how it went. Why were you at her home that night? A psychic told me she was in danger. Officers rolled their eyes and scoffed. Sure, buddy, we believe you. Now tell us about the ghosts you saw again. Afterwards, I was placed on temporary leave and taken to a holding cell. <laughs> temporary leave, taken <sighs> to a holding cell. I no, mean, you're not on leave there, buddy. <laughs> I'm still collecting that paycheck, you know? <laughs> the next several weeks were a blur. I was placed under official arrest soon after my interview and held without bond. Can you blame them? It was a gruesome scene. I was covered in blood. It appeared as if I had handled the murder weapon, and hell, she was cut into pieces for Christ's sake. The medical examiner stated that no human would have been able to survive long enough to do that to themselves without bleeding out. And plus, even if she could have, why would Mary have done this to herself? It made no sense. I learned later that my arrest was never reported, but I wasn't surprised. Can you imagine how a local cop arrested for mutilation of a retired teacher would have gone over in a local paper? The MWPD would have had to deal with a shitstorm, the likes of which they had never experienced before. Controversies like that don't just go away very easily, if ever, in small towns like Mineral Wells. Luckily, the grand jury was meeting that month, so I didn't have to wait long. My case was fast-tracked, quickly presented. To no one's surprise, the grand jury returned a true bill. I was indicted for the murder under Texas Penal Code 1902. It can carry up to life in prison. As you can imagine, getting indicted for a murder crime you didn't commit is a crushing feeling. What's worse is that I knew I had no chance to convince anyone that I was innocent. The MWPD had the files, which didn't really prove anything anyway but I knew they would never see the light of day again. Even if Stan and Teresa could have come forward with some other credible evidence, there's no way that they would have been believed. The veil would prevent it. So I sat alone in my cell, mostly crying, often sleeping, receding deeper into the dullness, pretending that this was all a dream. I used to read what up magazines. I slept in restless fits, rocked by night terrors. <laughs> 
At this point, my friends, I have to make a confession. This will be the first of two confessions, and it is in fact the only thing I am guilty of. I have deceived you. What the fuck? I am no longer a police officer in Texas, as the title of this post suggests. Yo, fuck this guy, he lied to us. Although you may have guessed that already. I apologize for this sincerely. If I had told you that my current and true situation up front, it's likely you wouldn't have listened to my story, and I need you to believe me. That's yeah, alright, I guess. One of the foundations of the criminal justice system in this country is that to be found guilty of an offense, you have had to have had a rational understanding of what you were doing at that time. And after hearing uh, motioned for my attorney, the court found that I was, in fact, not competent to stand trial for what I had done. He presented evidence of erratic behavior from the time I had arrived in Mineral Wells up through the night of the murder. And some of that's true. Some of it isn't. I'm almost positive my attorney personally thought I was guilty and mentally sound, but he successfully painted the picture of a stressed-out cop who had simply snapped. Good job. This was perfect for the district's attorney's office and the NWPD. There would be no public trial. No one would find out about the psychopathic officer who cut an innocent woman into pieces. Texas, like other states, provides for a different type of punishment for people who fall into this category, which brings me to my second confession. I am currently confined to a secure mental facility serving a 40-year term of a commitment for a crime I did not commit. I only have access to my phone every couple of days and at certain times, which is why I've had to break up these posts into multiple parts. You may be surprised I have access to it at all, but you shouldn't be. Inmates smuggling cell phones into prison is an enormous problem in today's justice system. The problem is the guards are all in on it. They make a little money by helping the inmate or looking the other way and of course deny everything if the inmate is caught. It hadn't taken much money to bribe my orderly into letting me use mine on occasion. I had plenty saved considering I was single, had no social life, never ate or drank out. I was able to contact Stan through his garage and have him deliver the money for me, and he got a small cut too. Human greed, right? I'm also sorry that this may not have ended how you hoped. I think Hollywood movies have conditioned us to believe conflicts always resolve tidily, often to the benefit of the protagonists. If you just believe or strive hard enough or fight long enough, you'll win. They have to, or otherwise people wouldn't continue to watch them. That's the good thing for the most part. There's no happy ending here, unfortunately. Life isn't always like that. It's dark, gruesome, unfair more often than we'd like to admit, and we have to live with the scars. There will be no justice for Mary, those children, or any of the victims in Mineral Wells, Texas. There will be no... There will certainly be no justice for me. I fell victim to something even more sinister than the curse. Hope. The idea that we can change things. That we can make the wrong right again. I was wrong about the nature of the world and it cost me everything. One previous commenter described the hopelessness and despair the parents must have felt when they were sent to Milling's sanitarium after watching their children scream in agony on an operating table. That's the feeling that haunts me now. The meds I'm administer every day at 9 and 3 help some. I'm numb, mostly, and I could sleep. I wouldn't have been able to live with the night terrors. Shudder. 
Thankfully, the dullness has mostly faded away. It's time for me to go. I have to leave you, dear reader, this time for good. It's time for one of my treatments. And yeah, I have those too. Some traditional, some experimental, but they all will have to be tales for another day. I've actually gotten used to the screams here. Even they echo in my dreams. Bum, bum, bum! And you see, this is why you shouldn't listen to train guys and gals. Meet Virginia. <laughs> bow, bow, bow. Well, that just got heavier and heavier. Well, Deputy Dewey, you have anything to tell me? About? Your sanity? <laughs> oh. I'm I'm okay. Yeah, you're all right. <laughs> yeah, you're fun. all that right. That was a fun one, though. I'm excited to see what happens to him in the mental institution. Might be, yeah. Might be a little, might be a little bit of an escaperoo. Or maybe, uh, you know, not. More people get just do fucked up and just crazy, fucked weird up in the shit. system. Talking, crazy weird ghost talking shit. to other people who've been fucked up in the system in this ghosty ghost town. He does love a good interview. He does love a good interview. I always appreciate that. One of the one of the more fun things about running a podcast are the back and forths that you get into on a couch when people kind of dive into a character and just get to bounce off of each other for a little bit. It's it's why I think episode seventy two, uh, Dad's Tapes, is one of my favorite episodes and probably one of our most listened to episodes between me and Sir Booberry because it's literally a detective interviewing killers oh, okay. and I got to play all the killers oh, it's sick. also why I appreciate the series I did with Django um, the the Sin Eater series where the nun gets called in to interview again people on Death Row and I got to play each of the people on Death Row very much like Mind so, Hunter. very much okay very much. Both of those. Uh, Sin Eater was a series, I want to say, four or five episodes long. Uh, Dad's Tape was just one episode. So if if you have time and you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to Django's episodes. Um, the Sin Eater one should be easy to find. It's one of the more recent things he and I have done. Somewhere in the 200s, I believe. And then, um, like I said, uh, Sir Booberry's Dad's Tapes is, I think, episode 72. Hmm. Um Really fun stuff when you kind of get a cop in a situation to just kind of sit down and break someone down and try to f figure out if they're bullshitting or not. Mm -hmm. Oh, fuck. Not even a cop. Uh, shout out to episode, I think, 21. Um, fucking, uh, fucking Uncle Jerry's. Oh. Uncle Jerry's Family Fun Zone. It's that yeah, one guy who recounts... One. It's the guy who recounts the two different stories of the people going to the same place, but they're different, and you're trying to figure out which one of those two people is lying. Also, uh, an episode I did with Django. Very fun. One of us always tells the truth, and one of us always lies. Yeah, that's the two-headed riddle, right? Anyway, this is a fun series. It's, yeah. ri it's written very well. I can see why people like it. Um, it's a little high on its own supply, I feel. A little, uh, you know, mm. from time to time, I it doesn't read like a cop at all. No, it that's kind of that's kind of the problem. Is it it reads like a high schooler who wants to be a cop? That's fair. Or a college creative writing yeah. student who wants to be a cop. Some of his stuff seemed like real life, though. I mean, I was just sitting there like, yeah, that, that makes sense to happen there. Yeah, so. he he writes for a person well. Yeah, 
you know, you can't deny that. But I still think there's, there's an element of, I'm writing a nice story. <laughs> and, like, that's fine for, like, the Teresa segments and the Mary segments. But when he's, like, arrested for, like, blood all over the place and shit, you really gotta find a way to drill in with the cop shit. <sighs> Instead of having your partner go, what the fuck? <laughs> Just walk, oh my god, so much blood. <laughs> what the fuck did you do? What the fuck did you do? Arrested. <laughs> yeah. You know, I gotta take you in for this shit, Charlie. Gotta take you in. Gotta do the time for the crime. Isn't the death penalty still a thing in Texas? Yeah, that's also what I was thinking. I feel like Honestly, he would have probably coming just into a went scene right like that might, uh, even if it's your first offense, might be warranted. Yeah, I feel like they're. They're pro-death penalty, and I feel like they're one of the only states that still has the chair. I think that... Or do they have injections I think now? the chair is finally gone from okay. every state. But I could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, I think I think it's lethal injection now in, in any states that remain. The only place that still hangs, I think, is France. Mm. Firing I, squad, I, baby. I think... I think... <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe France doesn't even have the death penalty anymore. I don't know where I got that statistic from. but um, Or maybe they were the last country to do the hanging. Maybe that's where I got that from. So, not any time lately, but they were the last country to do it, maybe. I very much enjoy listening to, uh, or just reading about uh, famous last meals. Yeah, and some fun. And some of the fucked up shit that they pull sometimes. Like what? Give me some examples. Like a, a guy ordered like basically like a Thanksgiving dinner, two lasagnas, a fucking fifty-five cokes, fifty-five burgers, fifty-five fries, <laughs> and then ate none of it. Like they ordered a fuck ton of food and didn't fucking touch it, just to say like, "Oh fuck you, you got me all this shit. Go to hell." <laughs> just as a fu- well, I mean, and then other people asking for like a pee, like one little pee. <laughs> And that was, like, their last meal. And then other people would, like, go, like, the John Wayne route. Like, I just want, like, a, a nice glass of whiskey. Yeah. It's just interesting. I find it cool. Human psychology. Like I'm still stuck on, the, I'm stuck on the Thanksgiving meal thing because if he didn't touch any of it, then the cops just take it back to the room and the yeah. cops all yeah. eat it. 100%. But you know, it's, it's so, framed so in, in that, a way. So in that case, is the guy saying, I did this for you, or is he saying, fuck you to the system, <laughs> because he's he's not going to bend to what they... I think it's, it's just that you ask for this lavish fucking shit, and then you don't touch any of it. Which is disrespectful know. as fuck. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, maybe he's trying to chuck a middle finger to everyone, but at that point, the food doesn't go to waste, I don't think, is all I was saying. And there's always the stories of like people being allergic to something. Oh. Like, give me, give me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And then they immediately go into anaphylactic shock. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. I don't know what I would do. It's hard. It's hard for me to think of one specific thing that I would be like. Yeah, that's what I want to end my life on. Probably mm. like some fruity pebbles or some shit. You know, mm, <laughs> like something simple. Something that you something know will f- hit. Something funny that slaps. Yeah, like I love like sushi. A, like breakfast. But do I trust, like, a prison make, like, getting an entire, me sushi? an entire fucking breakfast buffet, you know? Yeah. 
just as much bacon as I want, as much <laughs> eggs with cheese as I want, as much orange juice and chocolate milk as I want, fucking French toast pancakes, waffles, <laughs> sausage, hash browns. You could get the whole fucking works in there with I breakfast. want a Mr. Beast chocolate bar. And crab? I hope there's a get out of jail free Eggs card Benny? in Eggs Benny? Eggs Benny? Yeah, man. Um, Benny the Egg. Fun stuff uh, happening here on Lots of Pasta. Always fun with Deputy Dewey. Excited about this series. Has a lot of promise, I think, moving forward. Now that we got, like, the kind of I'm fucked exposition out of the way. Because um, you can only go so much further down from I'm fucked. Uh, so let's see how far down it goes, right? No. We just can't be a cop anymore. Oh, no. I'm just... Because this is a three-parter, right? If you're a cop, right? you gotta tell me right now. So what's if the last thing gonna be? If you're a cop, you gotta fucking tell me. That's, that's, that's actually, like, not true. So I'm not gonna tell you. But if you were, you'd have to tell me. Listen, if you're a fucking cop, you gotta fucking tell me. Listen, you know listen, listen, listen. O.J. Simpson didn't kill Nicole Brown. But if he did, he would have done it this way. If I was a cop, I didn't would tell you I literally write a book that way. says... Oh, he 100% did. Like, I kind of want to buy it just to like see what kind of bullshit is I in didn't that. do it, but if I did, <laughs> this a, is how I would have done it. What a fuck. I don't lots of respect for him, honestly. The fact that he was he was able to get away with that shit and just <laughs> get on fucking TMZ whenever the fuck he wants for doing whatever the fuck he does with his life. The Bronco chase scene too is just wild to me because like he's not going fast. No. And it lasts forever and he just like it's calmly like just like down a seven gets to his house. <laughs> like and just gets out and walks inside. Hey guys, how's it going? Very anticlimactic. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Life. Death. And a little bit of cream. I thought you were going to say, and bones. Oh, I fucked that one up. (laughs) 